Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It's the 23rd of February of 2022. Yes, that's right. It's uh, if we had done this like a day earlier, it would have been all twos and stuff and would have been really nice and symmetrical and stuff. But no, there's a big old prime number in there now instead. So I guess that's what we have to deal with. And I don't think there's anything special about the 23rd, especially not today, the 23rd. Nothing special about the time that we're going through in the world. Ha ha! Manga! Okay. That was a real roller coaster right there. There was like quaintness, a little slice of life, then it got into like some existential horror. And uh, now we're here. Uh, there was no comedy in there, which I guess makes this failure as a podcast. But, oh, you know, we're only wow. in the first like minute. So I think we can we can okay. bounce back. Well, another one. All right. I'll put another tally mark on the board. For... <laughs> Times we weren't funny. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, there's still going to be room somewhere in here. For <laughs> they build up quickly. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I had a, an odd experience reading a book recently and, okay. uh, I, I don't want to like spoil too much of this book. Uh, but, um, uh, it's, it's about a person who can live multiple lives. I, I think that's a premise that's been done before. Uh, someone who has the opportunity to basically go back and, and live the other lives that potentially they left behind. Like what would have happened if, Instead of going to college, I married that that person I was with. Oh, okay, or, you know, stuff like that, you know. And uh, the 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 book starts, and like the 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 premise is that ultimately she's very depressed and reaches a point where she's like, I don't want to live anymore. And one of the sort of offsetting things that happens is her cat dies. And I was like super bummed out about it. They saw it like dead on the side of the road, like fucking probably got hit by a car. And it's like, God damn it, I couldn't even take care of a cat. Uh, so one of the first lives she, she goes to relive is she's like, what about a world where I made sure that cat always stayed indoor and, uh, like that's like, you know, I'd be a responsible pet owner and yeah, the cat would still be alive. So she goes to that world, can't find the cat, looks under the bed, cat's dead. And it's like, oh man, this is brutal. She goes back. So it's like a cosmic guide to all this. And the cos- She's like, what the fuck? Why? I wanted a world where my cat was still alive. She's like, no, you wanted a world where the cat was indoors. Here's the thing. Cat didn't get hit by a car. The cat got, has like a heart problem and was going to die no matter what. And the reason it went outside is because, you know, pets don't like to be like, they don't want to die next to you. They want to kind of like be off alone or something like that. She's like, I-, I need to stress to you. It's not your fault. This cat died. And the life that you gave this cat was the best life it could have hoped for. Aww. And I sobbed for like 20 straight minutes. I was emotionally devastated <laughs> by that exact. I was like, this cat had a happy life. And I was gone for like 20 <laughs> minutes. I was just like, I can't do anything. Yeah, it puts it in perspective. They can't really, you know... Um... Like when a pet dies, like pets very rarely die with dignity, you know, like we have to like kind of force them to die with any sort form of dignity. It's really like you have to do make it make the effort to remember them in a special way. And I think that, yeah, uh, seeing them freshly after they've died. Yeah, I'm sure that it would leave you with the impression of like, yeah, something bad has happened here as opposed to, you know, reflecting on the good times. So, yeah, that that is. That's sad that she had to learn that lesson that was, way. I like mean, that was a bit devastating. Like so, it is. It it, it touched me too because I had a, a somewhat similar experience when Liam passed, and I just remember being uh-huh. like emotionally destroyed by. It. And then like it is a nice solace to be like, look, he gave that pet the best fucking yeah. life it was ever gonna have. That you know, I was like, oh, 
it was like it wasn't even the cat dying that made me sad anymore it was like that cat had a happy life yeah <laughs> i was i was destroyed so in case you're ever curious about my taste and stuff the cat has a happy life in it it's 10 out of 10 haven't even finished the book it could get really racist by the end and i'm still like this is an amazing story the cat was happy remember not not too long ago when you discovered the manga uh, like the old man and his cat and i was like you didn't know about this <laughs> no I, had, I i think it was just a tiktok a random tiktok i saw that was like you should look at this manga an old man and his cat i was like this was created in a lab to destroy me like there, there's some cosmic i have like a masters of evil level super group devoted to destroying me and they all came together to make this manga because <laughs> Like they're they're gonna kill me for, via dehydration. They're gonna make me sob so much that I die. That is clearly their end game, and they found the delivery vehicle. This is manga. All right, here's a new volume. <laughs> I keep picking it up. I'm like, oh, and he's gay now too. Oh, not too surprising. Uh, <laughs> All right, guys, we have quite a bit of manga to talk about today. Uh, we are not talking about landlocked until next week. We got, we got a uh, it, it's purely it's it's a lot of like theory crafting no, there's a lot of no, plot build up <laughs> there's just too much money to talk about this week don't even <laughs> no i'm really i'm like taking my time i'm flipping there's through not it. numbers i'm like what what, <laughs> what could the monster be perhaps unlike lost this time it actually is a roller coaster trapped inside a nanobot cloud or something like that <laughs> This look lost. Is this an actual theory? Because <laughs> it sounded like a roller coaster. Yes, it was a theory. Like it sounded like the monster smoke. Look, Lost occurred in like the early two thousands when there really wasn't like enough social media to, to like shout down bad theories. <laughs> <laughs> so just dumb shit sometimes got through. Yeah, I guess that you say that, and despite that, it's like, yeah, and I'll bet media literacy was actually stronger back then, too. <laughs> Potentially. I guarantee a show like Lost wouldn't survive today. God. Oh, all right. Let's talk about, to begin with, My Hero Academia, the chapter where we explain things. This is how we explain how we get to the big dramatic moment in the last chapter, and just kind of like tie up some loose ends in case anyone out there was like, but wait, how did they do that? Is fine here. We'll tell you now so that you don't have to worry about it while everyone's fighting later. We actually get narration at the beginning that says back in the UA dorm in chapter 342. He's like, okay. Yeah. I guess you just don't trust us to get the time frame right for something that happened. I didn't even notice it specifically. The narration ago. says which chapter it was. <laughs> It was two chapters ago. Like, I'm like, this must have been when they were in the dorm back in like chapter 60 uh, before any of this ever happened. Uh, so they actually come to the conclusion in this meeting, you know, the one that we didn't see any of the details of, which it turns out like a bunch of people, I guess, were actually present for because like Mineta and Sato were there. Uh They're like, yeah, so the odds of us actually finding all for one in this big massive search effort are kind of low. Uh, so instead we've got this plan that, uh, eraser had came up with Aizawa came up with. And they're like, well, well, what, why did we do all this stuff then? It's like, well, it is in fact to actually catch them off guard, essentially to lure the sne and all might 
I swear, gestures with his hands in a sneaky way in order to lure the sneakiest, craftiest cowards out from the shadows. One has to force them to loosen up and relax. Um, so basically, they're going to lull them into a false sense of security by fruitlessly searching around for them. But it's not fruitless because it's lulling them. Anyway, so... Uh, they explain more and more, uh, and they go off and they eventually bring up the fact that, uh, Aizawa came up with this plan where they'll use Aoyama, uh, as bait essentially. And Deck, this is the first that they, the kids have heard of it. And Deck is like, oh my gosh, Aoyama's coming back to us. Yay. Uh, but Yayorozu, one of the smart characters <laughs> says, wait, uh, Aoyama's father said that their family would be killed if they lied to the enemy. So if the enemy has a way to detect lies, then won't this just be placing the family in danger? Uh, and it turns out the heroes have thought of this. And All Might says, according to his parents, they only ever corresponded by, with All for One by voice, never by text. And he wouldn't make a move before verifying with all of his allies wherever they lurk. This suggests that he has some way to instantly verify the veracity of verbal communications. Someone played around with that and deliberately alliterized that, I'm pretty sure. But more alliteration will follow later. Anyway. But. All or my maybe they calls like, in. He probably has like some fucking tell true, like truth telling quirk or something bullshit like that. And they're like, I can't say that. He says bullshit like three times. <laughs> uh. Children <laughs> the first draft of the translation, <laughs> and then all my just says, "Yeah, I'll fucking know." Well, he's got some fucking trying <laughs> fucking magics, bullshit, fucking garbage, fucking asshole. I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> Want to fucking kill his whole family? Oh, hi, kids! I'm the defender of truth and justice. And the team at Shen and Jump were like, "All right, <laughs> we gotta." We got to keep it still in, in theme, but we do have to clean this one up, definitely. <laughs> After he's finished saying it, there's just a long pause, and then he goes, cock, really loudly. <laughs> we can't keep that in. <laughs> All Might calls in someone to help them with this plan and goes, come on! Show and, me your moves. Uh, yeah, it, it it seems very much like a, a, a Captain Falcon. Come on. It's Shinzo. He comes Aww. in and he, he looks both simultaneously proud to be there and awkward somehow. I don't he manages to do it both ways. And they're like, oh, my gosh, it's Shinzo. Yay. Um, yeah. But see, brings to the point is like, oh, well, but I, I, during the team battles, you you said you can't make other people speak. It's nice that she's one, the person who brings this up because she was on the team with Shinso during the uh, interclass battles and stuff. And he actually explained it directly to her. Uh, and Shinso's like, learned how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> My really cool moment happened off screen. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> I've been training like hell to improve my quirk. I, I can do it now. <laughs> All right, thanks. What was the motivating scene that caused it to happen? Uh, file not found. Anyways, <laughs> I have it now. I'm stronger. So the plan is that Ayama's family will call up all for one and Shinso will make them talk, which means that they won't be lying because he'll be puppeteering them into saying stuff. I like how that technically, like... <laughs> That like quirks can work on like loopholes and shit yeah. like that. Like the quirks, like 
And they were telling the truth, even though they knew that wasn't the answer. Like, it kind of it works. It works. Look, what am I supposed to do? Follows all the rules. Ain't no rule that says a dog can't play <laughs> basketball. So my basketball quirk is activated. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's a weird thing where we learned a lot of the details about how all for one's lie detecting quirk slash hybrid quirk worked. But only enough to know that this would work and not enough to know whether or not any of the other ways you could conceivably have a message relayed to him audibly. If they would or not, would yeah, not work. Does it only work with like talking? Does yeah. It, could you know, have a soundboard that would do the same thing? If like Aoyama wrote, writes down like all for one sucks eggs like he looks at he's like no i don't and then Aoyama's head explodes <laughs> what does he look just look at it and he just kind of cries he's like oh yeah but hey shinso gets to have a very convenient excuse to rejoin the heroes and hey this 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 character that is still quite popular and people keep on saying it's like he should be with class one so they look he gets to participate in the final battle in a way there you go yeah. um and uh, everyone's, you know, swarming around. It was like, oh, wow, are you like, going to join the hero course and stuff? You should join class A. And they're all really happy with him. And they gradually turn into chibi figures in the background celebrating with him and stuff. The adults talk for a little bit. Um, Tokoyami gets the action sound effect of wait a sec before he says, wait, we, we've got another problem here because once our enemies are all lured into a trap. Can we truly defeat them all? Our numbers are already lacking. And if we do somehow assemble every available hero at the chosen spot for the ambush, surely that would give us away. But All Might says, it's okay. The heroes don't need to be there in advance. And so the second part of the using kids for committing war crimes uh, part of this plan is that Aizawa has called upon Phantom Thief, Manoma, to copy Kuragiri's quirk so that they have a means of warping all the heroes in, as we saw in that. Uh, and it's a thing that I didn't even consider even in the last chapter because Manoma and Kuragiri's human form have fairly similar hair color. So I just thought it was him. Mm. So instead of that, that, they have not saved Kuragiri or it is in fact just Manoma copied his quirk in order to use it. There you go. Uh, Mama, in the scene where they are talking about this, expresses doubts about doing so. But I, I was like, look, I don't really have a choice here. I couldn't get through to him. Uh, and we don't even really know if he's more Kurogiri or Shirakumo at this point. And then he says, since losing my eye, my erasure is all but useless, meaning I'll be sidelined in the upcoming battle. I don't know if that means he literally can't negate quirks at all anymore without both of his eyes or if it's just it's way more of a strain on his one eye now or what. But it does definitely make sense that the part of your body your quirk relies on, you lose half of them. It don't work nearly as well, if at all. So. Um, but uh, Monoma, you know, gets a little bit of a moment to have kind of like a pep talk sort of to himself in the moment because he says, you know, since I was little, people have always said, you'll never be a superhero with that quirk. And it's one meant for a supporting role for a bit player. Uh, and, uh, Bl Vlad King 
uh, kind of puts his arm around his his student's shoulders and just goes, Monoma. <laughs> I presume... It doesn't say the rest of it out loud. I presume <laughs> the reason... I presume the reason why that's there is because we are cutting from the flashback into the present, and he did say it, but the only panel that shows Blood King there, his mouth is closed, yeah. which does make it thinking he was like, I'm thinking of a pretty good speech that it's might help you speech. out. But I'm not going to say it. Oh my god, I'm so nervous at public speaking. <laughs> uh, I'm so bad at talking to students who need help. Why did I become a teacher? I hate teaching. I hate children. I really picked a bad job. So, uh, um, has your sex education been covered? Should we go over that, like, literally right now? Like, uh, <laughs> when you get erections, it's just your penis wanting to see the world. Anyway, I think I've covered everything. Can you teleport our heroes out there? Good night, please. Say goodbye. <laughs> uh, what he actually says, allegedly, is this operation will fail unless everyone plays their part. There's no such thing as a bit player. You have been and always will be a star. Hey, pretty good speech, assuming yeah. he did make it. So, it's um, like the lyrics of a Katy Perry song. Which one? Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> not one of the the weird ones later on. I think one of the early ones. No, one of the middle ones. The early ones were just about weird sex things. Okay, got it. So uh, the alien one. All right. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> That's a middle one. That's <laughs> a middle one. <laughs> uh, anyway, we cut forward to the present where the, the fight is breaking out. The teleported heroes and villains have all come in and there's an army of everyone. And, and All Might you know, is, is meanwhile back behind the lines. He's issuing commands from a control center saying if he steals one for all, he'll have no need to run and hide ever again. They'll attempt to bring it all to an end right now. Uh, Shigaraki uh, does not seem to have a firm grip on his surroundings. Uh, he's like running his fingers through the goop that they were teleported out of. Uh, and he starts to say something to, to Dobby, to Toya, but Dobby's just like, you ain't the boss of me. <laughs> he runs in, immediately goes straight for Endeavor uh, and says, hey, you come to watch your pals get cremated. There is a huge explosion of fire, but also ice because... Hey, Todoroki is here as, Our as, as well. Our child soldiers have arrived on the scene. Yay! This is the moral thing to do as heroes. <laughs> um, and uh, so he counters Dobby's flames. He comes out of a portal with a whole bunch of the people from Class 1A. Uh, and uh, they, the two of them, of course, opponent on each other. But uh, All for One is like, oh, pff, are they hoping for a chaotic all-out brawl? And he doesn't... See However, he does no idea what they have in mind because All Might declares Operation Troy Tempton Trap. Uh -huh. I guess that I, I, that's, again, alliteration, but I guess he likes his, his fancy names. I so. like that somebody was probably like, what do we just call it Operation Troy? And all for one was just like, I like it. What if it was Operation Troy hyphen Tempt and Trap? I'm like, what's well, kind of wordy. These are like operation names are kind of just a quick short. Listen, it's not a good name unless it will make a good Yu-Gi-Oh card name. <laughs> <laughs> That's his entire philosophy. 
They're just like, just let them have it. And yes, make a Yu-Gi-Oh card. I've been getting off. back into this because of the series Protect Me, Shukamaru. It's really good, guys. Come on, read it. Well, oh, someone else read it, please. I've got no one to talk to about this. I would love it if my hero went on the weird line of like, read Protect Me, Shukamaru. It talks about Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> Can you just talk about Yu-Gi-Oh? Protect Me, Shukamaru, guys. <laughs> Um, anyway, at All Might's decoration, uh, walls emerge from the ground and start encasing each of the villains into these little metal huts. And they're, they're, they're just like, what the hell? Cages? Are you kidding me? Uh, and All for One realizes they must be aware we can just tear these to shreds, right? Why, why did they go all this trouble? Ah, I see your angle, All Might, but uh, um, does he really? He doesn't say anything else until you know the, the rest of the plan is put into action. So maybe he's just pretending, you know, for the people in his head who can hear him. Well, you know, it's at the end. He's like, all of this to split us up. I guess. Uh, yeah, and it's, there's it's what's there's got to be a name for it. The issue in like uh, a narrative where you you have to leave the character who's currently experiencing the revelation because you need that revelation to happen after the action is done. It was sort of like how you could tell when a play in Ice Shield 21 was going to work or not when you're like, oh, the person who's doing the play and thinking it through is thinking it out too loud. That means we're going to be surprised by the opponent who's who's figured it out because we can't if we were in their mindset, then maybe. But if you're on this side now, you can't. Uh, there is a little joint thing that Tsukauchi and All Might say together, uh, and they say that you. this, yeah, that's it, that's it, that's that's. <laughs> and then they kiss. The number of different people that All Might has been shipped with, and Tsukauchi <laughs> is definitely one of them. So there you go. Aww. Um. But they're like, yeah, this was all so we could play to your ego and lure you out of hiding. Uh. And they say, shove them in because Monoma summons more portals and they're going to shove the cages through different portals and split up the villains. And I don't know if that'll just prevent all for one from just teleporting them back or what, but. I presume that once. Like, I don't know where they're... Pl- Maybe they're just assuming All for One's going to break out. And they're like, of course. But if they can get everyone else out, then like, hey, cool, we'll we'll deal with all of that or whatever. Like, everyone else will be separated, and then we're going to be engaged from All for One. He won't be able to just teleport everyone else back. I guess that they did establish at one point how this quirk worked. Because this was one of the little, the little Nomu that uh, the doctor used. But I can't remember if there was a limit on it or not. And anyway, who knows if all for one's version of it has a limit or not, whatever. So, yeah. All right. But yeah, that's that's the chapter. Hey, a couple of different characters got to step into the spotlight. That was nice. Okay. Yeah, it's good stuff. I thought it was fun. I liked Monoma and Shinso getting cool moments. I kind of wish there had almost been like more dramatic build up to them. Because this mm. might be their final real show off. I, I feel like we might get a little something more for Shinso just because he's such a popular character. There might be something else he gets to do that that'll be somewhere down those line. Uh, but for Monoma, there's a very good likelihood that was his last cool thing in uh, right. My Hero. So 
yeah, cool, cool stuff though. All right, Nick, let's move on over to Undead Unluck number 99, Save Me, God. And we open in the ocean as uh, Creed, Tella, and Billy are on a submarine. And they're like, huh, so why? Like, Creed's like, we're not just getting led on a wild goose chase, are we? And Billy's like, no, Juez would not be the uh, sort of person to do it. Uh, they note that this is the stipulation for returning the round table, as we, we saw earlier, is that they, under, would get to take one of the rewards. And, uh, I forget the name of the, oh, Kane, that's right. Uh, Kane, the, the whale that is basically their transport, uh, shows up from the ocean with a little shield in its mouth. And they're like, yes, this, <laughs> meh, this was the reward for, uh, neutralizing spring. A weapon that can reach God, one of the three sacred spirit treasures, Aegis. So, there we go. Apparently, it has a, it's been lost in the ocean for a very long time, but we'll figure it out. Uh, Billy then asks Tella, what's the status of the others? And Tella explains that everyone seems to have their own plan. Engine, the character we have not met, but at this point we can now more or less confirm, is probably unburned <laughs> based off his name. Uh, he and Karuru or remain in Japan. Uh, Engine says, I've told him that I'd send for him at a later time. So maybe we won't see Karuru again. <laughs> it's very possible. Uh, but at least Engine looks like he'll return. Yasai went back to whatever she was doing and said, call me if need be. She seems to have uh, a sort of family that she's returning to. Yeah. Or maybe so. train uh, disciples, potentially. That's also a family, Chris. Aww. <laughs> Um, they note Fang is in Union's prison, but after UMA Ghost was added, he said, I've got the hang of this soul thing. And he also said, I can still become stronger. So, I mean, they didn't kill him. So, yeah. <laughs> and we still haven't actually found out, I believe, what his uh, his ability is. That's right. Or at so. least we may have heard about it in like a source book or something like that. And I've just forgotten. So, well, if we read the book unmasked, then uh, that <laughs> it, it really does fit with everything. Just everything. <laughs> um, Creed is, of course, like, yep, that sounds like him. But who actually told you that? And tell us like Lotla told me that. Uh, she's currently working with them in the search for Fuko along with Bunny. And they're like, oh, where's Rip? And I'm like, I don't know, Rip's being moody at a cemetery. He's <laughs> being an anti-hero shonen <laughs> character, so he'll show up when he needs to show up, I guess. There is also a funny moment we where we see that Lotla is helping them to figure out where Fuko is because she just points to a map. She's like, she's definitely there. Okay, we can rule that area out. Thanks. <laughs> uh, and they're just like, yeah, well, ain't that uh, selfish, especially when the whole world's about to come to end in three months. And uh, Tell is like, I mean, we don't know if it'll even make it past a month. And uh, Billy just says, it will. Those guys excel when they're working for the benefit of others. So uh, we cut back over to uh, Union, where Juez is uh, getting like, a report saying, yeah, temperatures, uh, plants' temperatures continuing to rise. Sea levels rising. In one month, the continental coast and the cities will sink to the ocean. In two months, it's predicted the world's population will be cut in half. And Yay! Yeah. <sighs> 
Juez uh, is looking in like a back to tank and is like killing three of the seasons really threw off the world's balance and triggered the planetary revolution that's led us here. Maybe killing you, Autumn, the last season will alleviate our problems. And Autumn's like, nah, that's pointless. Now that the Earth's set in motion, it can't be stopped. Killing me would just cause the temperatures to go even more out of control, hastening the Earth's demise. And Juez sort of says like, even if that's so. And we cut over as Top Phil... Or not, uh, Chikara, Phil, and Tatiana, they've found a sign of UMA snow. It was close to winter after all, so I guess they're going to be able to add, hopefully, snow to the world, potentially. Who knows? Um, I think it's important that it is Chikara and Tatiana there. They did not send Top because now that those two are, of course, romantic. Oh, no, Chikara is the one linked with Tatiana. I forget. These two have had such a spiritual connection since the start of this manga. It's easy to forget which one's which. Well, I hope the sexual tension currently going on in Antarctica or whatever isn't too hot. I hope Phil, the character we all know a lot about, has uh, been able to balance things out. Uh, that is a story rife for fan fiction. Get on it, everybody. Your three favorite characters <laughs> constantly hang out together. Phil, Chikara, and or person. Uh, we cut over. Tops found another UMA. It's uh, Spin. Oh, wow. They're going to make the revol- uh, revolution a little bit wor- uh, slower, hopefully. Mui and uh, Shen have found Atmosphere with Bunny. They're like, yeah, we're going to have to feed these UMAs. We're basically going to try to reverse the damage that's going on to our planet and everything like that. Like, they know, like, utilizing the power of the UMAs will result in a 5% decrease in temperature, maybe. Autumn just laughs, like, you're struggling in vain here. And Juez says, and struggle we shall, right until the bitter end. So, she promises they will not allow any of the time that Andy has given them go to waste. So, that's that. Uh, finally, they, they kind of end the scene by being like, so, where has Andy been? And uh, Miko just says, well, his emblem transmitter function is off, so we haven't been able to locate him. And Ruin, we don't know exactly, but there's been a lot of incidents occurring all across essentially America and Canada. Uh, Mass suicides have been transpiring in several places around the world, leaving a trail of smiling corpses. There are zero survivor witnesses, so we have no clues to work on. And uh, Juez just says, Andy. Fuko, where in the world could either of you be? Where in the world could Andy and Fuko be? <laughs> we cut over to a random girl who is very sad because she is about to get killed. She's being... Uh, and also she has ME cancer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, She she is uh, holding a, a picture or a book or something like that. And she is running from a, a giant leech or something of that sort. That is uh, coming after her, and she says, if that thing bites you, you lose your mind, and so do the people bitten by those people. Everyone ends up losing their mind, and she thinks back to her mom, uh, this little girl we find out her name is Lucy. Uh, she gets uh, Her mom gets bit by one of the monsters, so she has to run, and she's laying down on the ground. This big leech is about to come towards her. She cries out, save me, God, and Andy blocks the attack, saying, save your breath. God isn't going to do anything for you. And uh, he's, uh, he looks at the creature. He's like, is this a UMA? No, it's too weak. You're a junior, huh? And he's like, oh, you asked who I am? Right, let's see. Oh, and he, he fucking shoots a giant blood bullet through the monster. He says, I'm undead. No, next that. I'm Andy. And that's the chapter. Yeah. Uh, so Andy has met, uh, met a new little friend um, who... Um, 
her has suffered a great tragedy because of God. Hint, hint. So <laughs> do not be too shocked if she ends up um, doing we, other stuff. She might we, also just die at the end of this because uh, a lot of people do die in Undead Unlock. I was going to so. say, her, her negator ability didn't cause the tragedy, though. So was it really God's work at that point? Uh, do we know it wasn't her negator ability? <laughs> Maybe she just awesome. like... I'm unzombie. I... I just make zombie monsters around me unconsciously, but cool. I become one. Um, but hey, it's a it's a nice little moment for Andy to show up after like a kind of time skip. It's a time skip of like a week or something. I was gonna say it's <laughs> it's weird to call it a time skip in a situation where the fact that we cannot jump forward we in time can. is a very specific. Like we only have a month, we cannot jump that far into the future. Um. But as yeah, as a way of pseudo reintroducing Andy or whatever, it's a nice little thing. Yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool big. Hey, I saved a person by shooting a giant blood cannon through a leech that turns people into zombies. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on then to talk about Kaiju number eight. No, chapter fifty six. We have to talk about Boruto first. God damn it! Can I just pretend it didn't happen? Like it, this. What chapter's... are you talking about, Nick? This chapter's great. No, it's not. <laughs> That's everything you'd want. Boruto hasn't been great since. When did Kishimoto take over the writing? <laughs> we, we're gonna go through this chapter, and we're gonna have so much fun. We're not gonna want Aww. to talk about Kaiju number whatever, even though it was probably the best chapter this week. Let's talk about Boruto. 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 Boruto, Naruto, Next Generations, number 67, Rift. Your favorite character's on the cover. She's Star- not my least favorite character. Star- <laughs> Stars and Planet Pants Girl. <laughs> What's her name? Nita. There we go. <laughs> Last time, Kawaki definitely totally killed Boruto. Boruto's dead. So dead. It's like the Christmas Carol. You have to start it off with like Boruto was dead to begin with, or else the story <laughs> doesn't make sense. <laughs> so Naruto, of course, immediately rushes over to Boruto to be like, "No, this can't be happening." Code, who still has Shikamaru prisoner, goes, "Ish, this is totally unexpected," <laughs> which I feel like should just be. The entire summary of this entire little mini arc is like, this is totally unexpected. <laughs> so Ada says, I think this is beyond yeesh code. <laughs> and she's like, wasn't Bardo supposed to be your divine tree sacrifice? What are you going to do now? <laughs> I was like, yeah, why are you so nonplussed about this? I, I, I really, I have to stress, because this is, this is the takeaway from this chapter I had is Boruto has been murdered by Kawaki. Code, seeing his plan fall, disappear, says, yeesh. (laughs) (laughs) And Ada follows it up by going, I think this is beyond yeesh, Code. And I was like, not since Kurama explained nuclear fission has the dialogue (laughs) in Boruto been so poignant. As a character for commenting yeast to a murder. <laughs> so Code just in full nihilism mode just goes like, eh, just move on. It's nothing else we can do. <laughs> Who'd have thought Kawaki would regain karma, much less kill Boruto? <laughs> 
And Ada says, don't take this the wrong way, okay? I have no intention of interfering with your goals, but I do need to say one thing. Don't you dare even think about using Kawaki for the sacrifice. I will not allow it, period. And th- I just know that in this moment where Code goes ellipses, that he's like, oh, shit, I could use Kawaki for the sacrifices, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, God. He's like, all right, I'm going to go now. Uh, and then he slashes the ground to make himself a, a portal to go out of there. He's like, you've done it now, Kawaki, killing my precious sacrifice. I have an urgent matter and I'm retreating temporarily. But remember I'm this. Not I'm retreating temporarily. But before I go, I just need you to know that. But before I go, this is very important. I'm going to go right now. But before I go. One more thing, though. And I'm not running away. I'm leaving and sparing your life. And he tries to get off like a last cool exit line. He's like, acquiring power won't change anything. You'll never be free for your entire life. Someone will always be leading you around by the nose. That's the fate you bear. I know it well. And he's like, anyway, I don't need this anymore. And he kicks Shikamaru away. That is the best sequence here. He just kicks Shikamaru away like, ugh. And then he goes to be like, see you later loser and fall backwards into stupid things and then they disappear so he just falls on the ground like an asshole oh no <laughs> he's like see you later shitheads nobody say that i'm still cool <laughs> he realizes- everyone sucks but me <laughs> Koji realizes, oh no, Sukuno Hikona, he tracked my claw marks well enough that I can't use them to travel. Why were they big enough for you to go anywhere anyway? They're tiny. They're like an inch wide to begin with. <laughs> None of it makes sense. Not a single moment in this. Because there's also the, the thing of like, you have one in your fucking head. Yes. <laughs> I just used that one. <laughs> so... He's like, all right, well, you strike those, but how about this? Ha! Like, I love He tries it again. It's like only do it once. He's like, clever move, Kawaki. But did you see this? Meow. Well, damn it. Like, what did she think was going to happen? Uh, Kawaki, look over there. He's like, oh, oh no, Sasuke's here. And then slash, like, no, I gotta get out before he sees. Uh, Kawaki goes all Terminator mode. He says he's gonna kill anyone threatening the threatening Lord Seventh's life, even my bro. So what makes you think I'd let you get away? Uh, and then he, like, summons some rods to, like, attack him. And Kawaki's like, well, I better attack him then and tries to slash it with his claw. And Kawaki goes, cross counter, and just punches him in the fucking face. The ultimate technique of all ninja, a punch to the jaw. He just fucking lays you out. Boom. Take that, bitch. Uh, and then I'm pretty sure he kicks him in the dick, but I cut. <laughs> that, would be, that would make this so much better. Just Kawaki being like, her code being like, ah, oh, my penis. <laughs> Like, and him trying to play it off. Like, ooh, that doesn't hurt at all. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, little did you know, I have a, I have a giant strap of my penis that acts as a codpiece. 
totally fine. <laughs> so, um, Shikamaru goes over to Naruto, and who is, of course, like, Boruto, open your eyes. And Shikamaru's like, ugh, Naruto, pull yourself together. <laughs> His son's dead. <laughs> uh, and Naruto apparently is so distraught that he has come out of sage mode and he's like, Shikamaru, I know you're rather Naruto. I know you're in pain, but the battle's not over yet. And, and Naruto's like, tell me it's a lie. This can't be happening. Tell me uh, a lie. Yeah, that's right. You lost a smile. Be there. Uh, an explosion goes off as Kawaki and Code are fighting. And Chikamaru's like, Kawaki's got the upper hand against Code. Code getting away would be a big problem. Let's help Kawaki take him down, Naruto. And Naruto's like, my son's dead. And Chikamaru's like, you're the Hokage, remember? Boruto chose this himself to protect the rest of us. This is no line for you to lose your grip. I mean, I would help, but, you know... That guy's scary, okay? He beat me real easily, so <laughs> what can I do? Uh, Code takes some rods to the shoulder, and he's like, damn it, I'm gonna go down to Kawaki of all people. And then Kawaki... It's very amusing that once you remove his stupid strap power, apparently Code sucks. Like, he <laughs> fucking... He has nothing. He has no backup. He's like... I can't teleport between claws, which really begs the question, are the claw straps what makes Code so strong? Like everyone talked about Code before we met him. Like this guy is crazy strong. He is. He's like nothing else you've ever seen before. And now it's like, was his power just teleportation? Basically like a crappier teleportation power that has to be predetermined with these stupid marks that can be removed, I guess, essentially, or made invalid at some point. I'm pretty sure that Minato, who was, you know, considered one of the great ninja of his time, had a much better teleporting power. Yeah. And on top of that, could do other shit. So, <laughs> like, I just look at this. I'm like, does Code not have, like, does he not have another, like, I know Code technically isn't even using ninjutsu because they're Oshutsuki bullshit or whatever. But I was like, does he not have another thing that's going on. <laughs> Kawaki's just beating the shit out of him at this point. He's like, oh, this sucks. Ugh. I'm lame. <laughs> I suck. So Kawaki gets ready to Vegeta energy blast point blank range code away. And as he's charging it up, he goes, this person who wants to meet me, I don't know their motives, but if they're against Lord Seventh, no mercy for them either. Okay, whatever. So Code does something that honestly, the first thing he does is actually pretty clever because he's just like, well, shit, my straps keep on shrinking, but I've got a backup strap. And he just reaches into the strap on his head like, all right, fair enough. However, <laughs> what does he do? So as the energy blast goes off, Kawaki gets sent flying backwards and Shigeru goes, Why'd Kawaki get blown away? And it's because Code has pulled a stupid child from out of his head. <laughs> I can't. Like, this is a clever solution that cannot be taken seriously whatsoever. Because you cannot look at the art of Code pulling this stupid child out of his head and being like, haha, my turnabout. <laughs> 
Because he's been in communication with Ada the whole time. And Damon's just been like, snoring the whole time, remember? So he just pulled Damon there and Damon's reflect everything powers kicked in and blew Kawaki away when he attacked. And Damon's like, what the fuck? Where am I? And Code's like, sorry to evoke you, Damon, but I'm safe thanks to your reflecting ability. Yes. I mean, I know that you're saying that so the readers are reminded of it, but I don't know why you're saying that. So, okay. Um, and then Damon's like, oh, okay, I'll fight whoever. And Code's like, no, no, we're leaving. <laughs> and he just starts pushing him back in. <laughs> like, it's like a fucking Looney Tunes gag. Like, Bugs Bunny is, like, finished with whatever Porky Piggy needed for this scene. So he starts shoving him back in the pocket, like, you get out of here now. <laughs> uh, so Ada is like, well, you're doing an awful lot as you please, Code, but Kawaki better be okay, because I want that underage boy, alright? I, I need to I need to remind myself of something. Is there a reason why Ada cares about Kawaki besides that she has the hots for him? Because her powers won't work on him, I think? Okay. I think that it's anyone... I think that's it. Okay. Alright. All right. Uh, so Kawaki is like, well, now that I can use all my strap powers as much as I want, I'm going to make it so I don't even have to walk over to Kawaki to check his pulse. Ha ha. That's right. I'm checking your pulse from over here. Kawaki shrink that Clarmark. Ha, fuck you. <laughs> He's alive. Uh, Very important question. Why does code not just grab Kawaki here and teleport him away? I don't like this one bit, but I have to give it to you. Looks like I don't stand a chance against you right now, Kawaki. I gotta get my limiters removed. You're gonna restore my true power to me, Amato. Running away. But why doesn't he just take Kawaki to Ada? Isn't that what they want? I gotta get my limiters removed. Hey, no! Would you... <laughs> oh, Alright, fine. So Shikamaru is looking around, sees, you know, Naruto's, you know, adopted son, unconscious, beat up over there. Is that his actual son dead in Naruto's arms? And he's like, all right, so let's talk about Kawaki Naruto. <laughs> How are we going to deal with him? And Naruto's like, what are you talking about? Shikamaru's like, well, he killed his own comrade. You know, even given the situation, he didn't hesitate at all. Says, this is the weirdest, stupidest fucking argument whatsoever. Like the fact that they're having this annoys me because it was such a huge, like, emphasized point at the start of Naruto that they're like, look, sometimes when you're a ninja, you have to do shit you don't want to do. And you might have to do and kill people you don't want to. And that or you're going to see friends of yours die. And that's just part of the mission. Yeah. You have to accept it. And fucking Shikamaru's like, no, Kawaki didn't care enough. I don't think this is like, even though he and Naruto were or Borto were like, you gotta do it, bro. You gotta kill yeah. me, bro. Like we made this deal, bro. We're gonna do it, bro. We're gonna, I'm gonna have to kill you. Like clearly had like a connection. Why Shikamaru decides to like interrupt to be like, I don't know. There wasn't enough hesitation, so I think Kawaki. Listen, Naruto. Guy. I don't think that you've got had enough dead sons today. So <laughs> I'm just saying, in for a penny, in for. A penny. <laughs> Let's just kill them both. Also, one of the ways he tried to talk about to talk Naruto out of his funk 10 pages ago was to go, Boruto chose this himself. It's like, 
Well, then why are you saying he has, we have to do something about Kawaki? <laughs> Listen, it's okay that he chose this, but Dr. Kevorkian still needs to be put to death, okay? <laughs> so... Marita is obviously against this. Shikamaru is like, you know, listen, sooner or later, we might not have had any other. He might not. Have, we might not have had any other choice but this to deal with Momoshiki's power. However, what I see as the biggest issue here is that he'll do whatever it takes for the sake of his goals. That's what today has made crystal clear. And I was like, what are you even saying? You're like, you're jumping all over the place in the stuff you're talking about trying to make this point. <laughs> and uh so Naruto makes the like a, a very emotional point of like Boruto considers Kawaki a brother. He's practically a part of our family now, mm-hmm. no matter what he I does. I have called him my does. son. I have actively yeah. called him my son to this point. Yeah. So it's like, there you go. Naruto is consistent on this point. He's not going except to for last week maybe. or two weeks, uh, two months ago, where he was like, Kawaki, you demon, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> or Boruto, you demon. I forget who he was talking about. Right. You know, well, you know, that's his actual son. You can't trust that. So, but yeah, he's like, look, I'm not going to do anything about Kawaki if his family can't stand by him at a time like this. Who's going to take his side? And Shikamaru's like, this even is now. A fucking weird line. I don't you like. You really feel in that in your heart. Can you really think of him as your family? He killed your son. Like, fuck you, Shikamaru. Like, why would you say that? Shikamaru was possibly my favorite character in the original Naruto. And Sasuke was one of my least favorite characters. And they're just flipped in Naruto. God, Uh, such an awful line. God. Anyway, Boruto's alive. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what? But Nick, Boruto is dead. He died. Now, I know there was a, like the story opened in Media Riz and Boruto was alive. We haven't yet reached that scene, but Boruto was dead. How could he be alive? Well, let's explain that in way too much detail, honestly. <laughs> numbing amounts of detail and exposition. <laughs> Uh, it was it, it was Momoshiki. There you go. So, yes, like, I love it. I love it because like they're like Boruto is dead. He's like, who are you talking about being dead? And then like fifteen pages of explanation to just be like Momoshiki says you're alive. But like this was a one time thing. Yeah. That I feel like we need to screenshot because I feel like there's gonna be another point in time yeah, where someone's it's... gonna try to kill Boruto and he's gonna be like I'm still alive. Yeah. Uh, Momoshiki says, as part of this explanation, you are now a pure, genuine, complete Otsutsuki, and that signifies only one thing. You are ready to be sacrificed to Ten Tails, and Code will soon realize this. Okay, fine. We kind of knew that would happen anyway, so, uh, but there's no going back. It doesn't matter how much medicine he takes now at this point, I guess. And, oh, and I'm not going to save your butt again. Uh, just like how Naruto died that one time, but Kurama saved his butt, but can only do it once. Uh, everyone gets one get out of death free <laughs> card in this series, is what I'm saying. Yeah. As long as you got blonde hair. So there we go. Kwaki gets like half of one. He's got the streaks, you know. Yeah. The, so, uh, but uh, also, because like Mars is like, well, I've died once. Is that what you meant by take everything from you? And Momoshiki says, ha ha ha, no. 
this has nothing on that and why that will come to pass. Even I cannot see. Then why are you fucking bringing it up? <laughs> this hypothetical moment that doesn't exist. He's, he's going to bring that up. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, it'll be a true spectacle, lad. <laughs> ha 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 ha. Code's gotten back to Ada. And Ada says, well, so Amato's in the middle of Konoha. How are you going to get to him to get your limiters removed? You don't have any claw marks in Konoha. How can you break in there? And Code's like, don't you worry. I've already taken measures. And uh, Shikamaru is really prominent in the foreground. And, uh, you know, he left a claw mark on him, presumably. Um, why would, if you knew that Code left claw marks and could teleport between them, would you not, like, always do, like, like, is the... I sincerely hope that, like, the next chapter opens with them, like, all being, like, medically examined in order to make sure they don't have claw marks on them. And then being like, oh, there's a claw mark here. Better I, get rid of that. I really, like, <laughs> I, I know Shikamaru was not the best this, this sequence, but I really, like, it would be such a fucking death of his character if he came home. He's like, honey, did you sew a studded black claw mark into my coat? Like, no. He's like, huh. Well, throw it in the wash with everything else, right? <laughs> colds. Keep the, keep the colds, uh, the white separate, though, I guess. Honey. I used to be a stronger ninja than you, bitch! <laughs> Honey, have I always had claw strap marks on the back <laughs> of my neck? No, you definitely haven't. Huh. Must be something about turning 34. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. That goatee looks stupid. <laughs> All right. Are we done? Are yeah. We done? No, no, we're done with this. <laughs> yeah, so we had our good time. We had our laughs. Let's talk about an actual good manga this week. <laughs> Kaijin of Array, chapter 56. So we get uh, the precursor to um, that conversation between Kaiju number 10 and Hoshina. Uh, yeah. So uh, apparently when Kaiju number 10 awakened, and they were trying to get some information out of it about Kaiju number nine. It was like, yeah, I'm only going to fight that guy. I'm only going to talk to that cool guy that I fought. That's the only person I'll talk to. So, uh, Otonogi explains, Okonogi, sorry, explains this to him. Uh, and, uh, they're also like, while they're examining stuff, they're also like examining stuff and then examining it's like 42 levels and blah, 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 blah. Mina is there, of course, because she is the captain of Hoshina's unit. Uh, and uh, Hoshina just walks into the vessel. And he's like, yeah, I'll go talk to it. Uh, and uh, despite the fact that it's, you know, a head with a spinal cord attached and a back to tank, Kaiju number 10 goes, like it's going to go on a rampage in any second. Uh, one of the scientist dudes who's observing is like, holy shit, this thing's still very terrifying. Hoshina replies with, you keep it down if you do that again i'm gonna cut your ass down so not phase in the slightest which uh amuses kaiju number 10 greatly and he says i knew you were like the others i would have loved to feed on you for sustenance uh but hoshina has got business to attend to he's like hey do you know anything about this kaiju kaiju number nine uh and number 10's like yeah i'll tell you i was created by them after all and everyone is shocked to hear this. But uh, number 10 says, but only do it on one condition. Let me out of here and fight with me. And uh, 
which first off, what a badass. Yeah, he's fucking like, awesome. <laughs> and Hoshida says, like, yeah, I can't do that. And look, I mean, like, your core is damaged. You're not capable of regenerating a fight. And Naruto's like, no, I already know that. That's not what I meant. Your group has the technology to weaponize my body, right? You will weaponize and wear me. Hand your body over to me. Uh, and um, he starts regenerating partially to the point that he has like a very upper body and hands that are pressed against the glass as he looms in towards Hoshina. And of course, everyone's shocked by this because they're like, holy shit, it's asking to be turned into a weapon. And Okanogi says, like, hey, no, no, this is this is no, we can't do this. It's got a will of its own and we can't weaponize it still. We have no idea what effect it would have on its user. But number 10 keeps on talking and says, my fight with you was fun. It was like being in a dream. And Hoshin is like, it wasn't fun in the least. And number 10 doesn't believe this and says, I fought you. So I know. You were clearly enjoying the fight, too. You and I are alike. I'm certain you can understand. As long as the thrilling blood-pumping battles in store, it doesn't matter if you're up against a human or a kaiju. And Hoshina, very calmly, just like, I'm just going to go think about this for a second. And uh, he walks out. And uh, as soon as the door closes behind him, he gets on the comm to Okanogi and he's like, what the fuck is with this guy? (laughs) Intense. He's Uh, scary. And then he kind of just vents a bit. He's like, oh my God, he's so scary. He's Um, And Okanogi is objecting and saying, it's like, God, no, don't, you can't do it. There's no precedent for this. It could take over your body. But Hoshina reasons that this is the only source lead that they have on Kaiju number nine. And he says, I guess sacrifices have to be made. So he talks to Mina and says, Captain, I'm going to agree to his demands. And Mina does not have any questions. She just says, OK, we'll wager on your decision. And I'll request that headquarters weaponize number 10. So Hoshina goes back into the lab thinking to himself, well, I sure got one at myself, one weird admirer, and says, talk, and agrees to number 10's deal. But, he says, let's make one thing clear. You ain't going to be using me. I'm going to be using you. And number 10 grins. As we get our introduction to Kaiju number 8, ep- number, Kaiju number eight episode 6, The Compatible User. This chapter fucking rocked. This chapter was so cool. Like, I guess I've come to realize Hoshina is my favorite character probably in this series. Uh, and I really, really loved Kaiju number 10 being not just back, but now apparently a relevant character going forward, as I imagine his consciousness will mm-hmm. still be inside of um, the weapons, which is an extremely cool move. I love them talking. I love the visual of this head in the tank that when it does the big moment of hand your body over to me has regenerate, but then you can see like the melted parts of its flesh that have faded away afterwards. And like in the tank at the end, it's such a cool visual that like plays into it, but shows how terrifying it was like, a yeah, really just cool transition. And just, I love it. Like I loved Hoshina's reaction with it. I feel like these two are gonna have like a fun dynamic. 
Yeah, you know, the the bloodthirsty warrior uh, and the more calm and calculated one who might have that kind of, you know, thrill-seeking side brought out by their weapon. Yeah, it would make, it would make honestly, a really good main character uh, kind of dynamic. Uh, you know, like, it, it, it would... If you're going to have, you know, that kind of symbiotic relationship, you've got to have two, you know, diametrically opposed personalities to really bring it out. It would suck if they were just the same personality copied over between the user and the weapon, right? Yeah, but Dororon's not for another couple chapters. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry, that was... I wasted that great transition. <laughs> um, yeah, I love this chapter as well. And honestly, the, the, the green through it again, I also really, really like number 10, uh... I, and I know it's more details this time that I didn't uh, as much before, like some of the physical stuff you were naming. So, yeah. All right. Um, Spy Family. Mission 60. Hey, you ever hear of that? Uh, pair the spare, pair the spares, uh, you know, trope you know, where he's mm-hmm. like, you know, you just have to like, hey, there's another guy and a girl that are side characters. Let's just kind of put them together. There's a, that's kind of what happens in this. But uh, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, it's, it's a side story through and through, uh, between, uh, oh gosh, I forget her name cause she went by multiple aliases, Nightfall. but it, yeah, yes. Um, and, uh, she, uh, gets a mission, uh, which requires her to make use of one of Twilight's leads, Frankie. Uh, and we see her like go into Frankie's, uh, base of operations and there's a whole bunch of traps that are set up to defend it that she easily evades. And then Frankie appears behind her with like a hood over his face and a gun. Like he's got a gun pointed at her head, but it's just a toy gun anyway. And uh, when she introduces herself uh, by the a phrase that uh, Lloyd gave her, uh, Frankie's like, oh, you're a friend of his. OK. Uh, and uh, she's like, ah, you're a you might qualify for my pretty lady special discount. And he pulls the trigger of his gun and a rose pops out of it. And uh, Nightfall's just like, yeah, I'm leaving. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> um, so Frankie tries to occasionally hit on her, but mostly it's just them, you know, like she needs to go see a counterfeiter who is one of Frankie's contacts. They need to meet him in secret. So she, there is a pretty cool code that Frankie makes use of, which is making a request to this one radio station that the counterfeiter listens to so that he knows to meet them in a certain place, which is a nightclub. Uh, and Frankie has Nightfall pretend to be his date so that he can show her off to everyone and be like, oh, look, guys, I've got a girlfriend. And was like, what, Frankie? How? Oh. And she's like, I fucking hate this. They meet the counterfeiter. Uh, she says that they need to make a deal, uh, but uh, the guy is not interested in her request. Uh, so he just immediately leaves, saying that this has been a waste of his time. Uh, but as he walks away, uh, Nightfall and Frankie tail after him, and Nightfall says, "Like, hey, there's two men that are tailing us. Are they your customers? Because they look like they're the secret police to me." And uh, immediately he's like, oh, did, did you do something to, you know, be, to have them pick up my tail? Uh, and but he tries to run off. But as a result of that, he nearly runs into another secret uh, police. And so Nightfall has to rush in, 
start kicking ass in order to save their butts. There is a cool thing that she does when a guy tries to stab at them where she does an axe kick and like snaps her leg around his arm and twists the guy to the ground. I don't know how it physically works, but it looks cool. So, <laughs> um, and eventually, uh, uh, she saves all their butts. Frankie do- does manage to uh, push her out of the way of uh, an attack, but um, it turns out she didn't need the help. She already threw a knife at the guy who was shooting at her. Um, uh, Frankie does prove to be of some help during this, uh, and she Nightfall is like, hey, why, why are you even you know, getting involved in all this stuff? Why are you on our side in this conflict at all? And Frankie says, I just don't like the way that the East does things because the country is too rigid and oppressive. I like to shake things up with a little trouble sometimes. And I feels like, whatever. <laughs> it's just not completely unimpressed. Um, the night passes. Uh, Nightfall goes to meet Frankie at uh, just his stand later in order to pick up uh, her package, her counterfeit thing. And... Uh, Frankie asks her while they're talking, hey, so those SSS agents, uh, there's no way it was you who called on them, right? And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Basically implying that she tipped them off so that she could defend the counterfeiter from them in order to convince him to work with her. So, okay. Uh, And then they leave off on the note that uh, the two of them might potentially work again in the future. But Frankie's like, no, if I work with you and again, then I'm going to lose all my contacts. They're all going to hate me. So, yeah, that was the story. It featured no Anya and no Bond and no Yor. So, mm. <laughs> Chris, yeah, that was a chapter. I, 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 it featured my two probably least favorite characters. So, I didn't really have too many thoughts on it. Frankie should be a much funnier character than he is, shouldn't he? Like, I don't know. Like, he's a series that's so funny with just about every other character. He's the one that I'm just like, no, I just have not found him amusing at this point. And he's the dopey, schlubby comic relief character. Why isn't he that funny? Like, I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know. Nick, let's move on, though, to Eden Zero, Chapter 180. Operation Planet Eater. Now, I th- I believe I made a comment uh, maybe last week or the week before that where I was like, why does everyone say Holy is hot? Because she has the same body type as every other character in Dean Zero. And I, I re- recognized, I was like, that's not true. Hermit doesn't. But I was like, Hermit also is kind of trying to play into the lolly archetype. But then I stopped. I was like, Clean doesn't really have that body type at all. So I guess that's not true. Turns out I was wrong. Ever since her, her time skip, she has uh, gigantic cans now, as uh, evident by the cover page. So every girl, basically, aside from Hermit and the ones that the creator has deemed uh, unappealing enough to not sexualize, have the exact same giant body type. So uh, the actual chapter is about opens with the planet Lendard as there's, uh, I guess, collaborators in a building. It's to show us that Dead End Crow has killed them all, except for one. And Ziggy is like, why did you kill all of them? And he's like, well, I was using those. Yeah, he's like, those. I was using those. 
I don't know why that's Ziggy's voice, but it is. Well, it's his voice now. <laughs> yeah. I was using those. We will kill all the humans. <laughs> I needed those. Uh, and Dead End Crow is just like, well, I didn't know you kept human pets around. I accidentally squished them. And uh, Ziggy's just like, you humans you stomped on are all highly skilled in their respective fields. It'll take hours to collect them all again. Come on, crow! Like, what's the deal? Dead End Crow's like, but you were just going to kill them anyway. So, like, what's what's the problem? Uh, and Ziggy's just like, even so you broke my things. I am not amused. Do you understand? So, yeah, there's some tension there and, and everything. Um, basically, they have to exposition their partnership. Uh, so... Ziggy's like, when this battle's over, you can have the entire Cade cosmos. Then you can devour all the humans you want. All of them. Until they go extinct. I don't care. But first, and Crow's like, yeah, I know. You want me to sink the Eden Zero ship, right? And Ziggy's like, yes, the Eden Zero. Every bit as powerful as the one. And the one is busy somewhere else. That is why I need your help. Which could have been like a cool little tease of world building. Like, oh, what's the other one doing? And tell me the Dead No, let me just tell you right away. Yeah, Crow's like, what's the other one doing? He's like, oh, I'm using it to find Mother's location. Like, no, that's not nearly as exciting as like just leaving it up and then find out later on. But whatever. It's a cool shot of the Eden's one hooked up to a bunch of stuff. Yeah. uh, I will say it's cool lighting on it. Yeah. Uh, We cut over to Bilia, who's like, are you seriously going to go try find Mother? They're like, yeah, when this battle was over. And they're like, battle? But didn't you hear? You could barely... She immediately is like, you barely held your own against me in a fist fight. And Rebecca's like, yeah, but I'm really actually more of like a sharpshooter. And also, I didn't use the ether gear I had. That part Yeah, she was going gear. very easy on you. Yeah. <laughs> and the Billy is like, ether gear? When did you lose, learn to use ether gear? And I really want Couchpo to walk in and just be like, oh, we have a bath. If you bathe in it once, you get power, superpowers. You should definitely use that. Um, but she says, hey. We haven't had enough bath scenes lately. That's what I know. <laughs> Three in a row. Let's keep going, guys. Um, hey, I heard we're going into battle. You might want to disembark for a while. And the bully is like, then why are you here, Miss Couchpo? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> and Couchpo points to herself and goes, I'm here to protect the kitchen. These days, I'm known as the stomach of Edens. No one calls you that, Couchpo. <laughs> like, I look, Couchpo. You seem like a nice lady. You get along with everyone. Everyone likes having you around. You help out with Becca's videos and stuff. No one calls you the stomach of you. No, no one calls you. St- it doesn't Couchbo, make sense. Couchbo, people have a higher opinion of you than that. You don't need to lean on this. Don't be like Moscow. People like you. Like <laughs> That's the best. They're like, please, don't be Moscow. Don't become him. You have something. You have respect still. You have you you can contribute to valuable. I believe in you, Couchpo. You don't need to just be a fat stereotype. You can be a presence in conversations, not just a hanger on, not just you an albatross be... around the neck of a scene. You don't have to just be the stomach of Edens. You could be the heart. You could keep everyone grounded. No, I we need protect- a normal person on this ship. Don't you understand that? <laughs> nope, I gotta protect the kitchen. That's why I'm the stomach of Edens. Something I'm like, you don't cook for the ship. The ship cooks itself. <laughs> Two, what are you going to protect? You have no powers. 
I don't understand what like what do you think your role is? You're not an engineer. You can't fix the food machine if it breaks. Like I don't know what you find your duty is. God. Uh, Labelia just says, Well, I'm expecting to die soon anyway, so I might as well stick with you guys until the very end. Plus, I'd get to be with Rebecca anyway. I mean, she makes a pretty good point. <laughs> we cut over to a briefing room where everyone's there, including. Oh, wait, wait, we need to, we need to, we need to hold on. We need to really, really speed up this Labelia character advancement, though. It's like she apologizes to Happy, but he's fine with her already. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> we cut over to, uh, uh, a boardroom where everyone's there, including Moscoy, and uh, <laughs> it's a, a conversation with uh, Elsie, and she's just like, "Why is Holy here?" And it's just like, "Look, fucking, it's gonna happen." Like they kind of like jab at each other a little bit, and then they're just like, "Fine, whatever." Hey, she's gonna bring her ships. It's part of the plan. You're gonna bring your fleet in. Holy's gonna bring her fleet in, and then the Eden Zero will be able to use that sort of distraction to break its way through the outer defenses of the planet, and they're gonna be there. Boom, bada bang. Uh, and then once they're there, the Crow attack team, made up of starfighters, and the core subjugation team will split up and go out their different routes. And Elsie's like, "Wait, we're gonna be facing facing dead end Crow?" And it's like, "Yeah, I guess that's kind of a." pretty big deal to just drop off very casually in this being like hey you know one of the six strongest fucking people in the entire cosmos or whatever one of them's gonna be there too um holy uh shiki notes like hey holy only agreed to help us if we help her beat dead end crow so we we have to kind of tackle this uh and Jin adds either way he's enormous if we ignore him he's gonna come and interfere anyway so we want a team to keep him busy so that's why I'm going to make him try my hot dogs to yeah. make sure that he doesn't come I wish he had said that. I wish he'd been like, but once he has offered one of my hot dogs, he will perhaps see the error of his ways. <laughs> um, they know like, hey, so what? Are, what what's like the direct conflict, you know, conflict with Ziggy mean? What does core subjugation mean? Like, so we're going to sneak into Lendard's main server and we might be able to destroy Lendard itself. No. And I'm like, but this is Ziggy we're talking about. He'll never just let us do that. So what we want to do at the court is send out a signal because we have a secret weapon. We're going to summon a chronophage. And they're like, wait, a chronophage is coming towards Lendard? They're like, no, it's actually just going to pass nearby, but we're going to ram it into Lendard using bait. And uh, Hermit basically is explaining like, we ran through all the plants hit by the chronophage and found out they had something in common. The chronophage goes to plants where somebody has acted against the stream of time. Norm, uh, Norma had Rebecca uh, coming and going with her cat leaper plower, and Rebecca was on Gilst as well, so that stands to reason. And Rebecca immediately starts justifiably being very concerned about this. She's yeah. like, wait, did I cause those things? Did I get those people killed? And they're like, not exactly because weiss was also already like there and it doesn't visit every planet you visit or else blue garden would have been eaten and stuff like that so don't worry yourself too much about that so rebecca steals herself is like all right what do you want me to do and they're like well it won't just be rebecca if we're going to carry this out all of us will have to be walking hand in hand with danger which is a stupid way of phrasing that um once the chronophase has been summoned, we all basically need to leave immediately. So that's going to be their plan. Get in there, 
summon the chronophage. That's probably the only thing that actually could stop Ziggy and then get out of there before the actual chronophage attacks. And they haven't really offered too much more of an explanation beyond that. They're just like, yeah, uh, we're going to call it the planet eater. Uh, and that's that's how we're going to try to do this. I call it Operation Flying Purple Planet Eater. Oh, <laughs> it works out perfectly. Um, so I so the chapter is fine uh, for most of it. <laughs> it's just that this whole thing, this idea of like, we're going to lure a chronophage to the planet and weaponize it. It's a really cool idea that has some huge potential dramatic connotations to it based off of the idea that like, oh, Rebecca could be partially responsible for some of the stuff that we have seen chronophages do in the past, all the havoc that they have unleashed. And that just kind of just gets uh, just going to scoosh by that and not talk about that. Uh, there is, in, in fact, a point where Rebecca is trying to like bring a point, and the wife's just like, "Well, I will be here one for you. Don't think about it." <laughs> yeah, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Instead of confronting the potentially, you know, the potential uh, dramatic moments that it could have from that, and also, I want to clarify, they're proposing that they lure a giant unstoppable cosmic entity that eats time to use against their enemy and stop them. That is insane. And I don't think the full weight of that is really impressed upon you in this conversation. <laughs> no, it, it's pretty clear. They're not fully and completely addressing it. Um, there's a lot of long-term ramifications here of like on a cosmic scale of like, what does it mean? Cause I think they've noted, like, there's a lot of variance in what the Chronophage does. If it devours Lendard, it could be devouring it, like, 10,000 years into the past or something like that. Like, there could be a lot of unforeseen consequences. I understand, though, they're also like, look, we, like, I don't know. Like, it, it feels like there's not enough details about this plan quite yet. Like, why wouldn't Ziggy just also escape? Like you don't, it doesn't sound like you intend to have someone stay with him until the chronophage happens. So you're mm -hmm. just like, we're going to beat him up so bad. He won't be able to move or something like that, I guess. But I don't know. It feels like there's a lot of details left unanswered at this point. Yeah. It seems like it's more a, a way of dealing with the base and what he has accomplished there than anything else. But potentially. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some new manga. Yeah. Akane Banashi, story two, six years. So we open on uh, a young Rakugoka named Guriko, who is tailing his master, uh, which is uh, Shiguma, the guy who was uh, Shinta's uh, master in the first chapter. And apparently some rumors have been circulating that Shiguma has been seeing some young girl. And Arakawa is... Uh, really concerned about this so he's tailing his master to see if there's any truth to it and uh, he also goes over like oh there was that infamous expulsion incident six years ago and so there's been this rapid expansion of influence of the arakawa school such that now the rakugo world has been more or less pulled into its wake and the number two of that school is a master of sentimental tales shigama arakawa and i'm as a disciple of his and he really can't afford to have any kind of scandal going on. What if he is, you know, seeing like an underage girl on the side. So he follows after Shigama 
follows him into a karaoke place where he is meeting with Akane, who is now high school age. And immediately Arakawa's like, oh, God, this is bad. He's seeing a fucking high school girl. Oh, no. Um, but while he's just like collapses in the hall outside, like, oh, shit, what do I do? He hears Rakugo coming from within the room as Akane is performing within the karaoke bar while Shigama is observing and judging her. And Arakawa at first is like, wait, what's going on? Is this some kind of role play? (laughs) The stance that she is taking and the moves that she is making is like, you've never been with anyone, have you? (laughs) In any sensual sense. In any sense, yeah. Um, but eventually he realized, like, wait a minute, Shigama's acting like he does when he's judging performance. Does that mean she's performing Rakugo? She's getting a lesson from him? Uh, and the more that she pays close attention while peeking around the door, the more he realized, like, oh, wow, she's really good at this. And just like Shinto was able to do, she is able to conjure the image of other people instead of just having, you know, her own face. Uh, but uh, as he's kind of, like, hesitating on deciding what to do next someone who you know works at the karaoke bar is like uh sir can i help you and he stumbles through the door and he reveals that he was spying on them uh so of course they have to explain the situation and he also apologizes for you know not having any trust in his master and is apologizing for telling him and stuff but akane just says in the guy's defense hey it's your fault for sneaking around in the first place yeah it does look really shady. So isn't this kind of better? And she's saying all this stuff while just like nonchalantly munching on some cookies. Like, <laughs> yeah, she's doing. A, I don't know how to describe. I guess duck face or whatever. Like, um. So Akane gets introduced to Arakawa, and she's still eating the cookie. Like. So, um, and then she's like, hey, what did you think about my Rakugo? Because, uh, you know, you've been instructing me for six years now and you still haven't given me permission to perform in front of an audience. But I'm going to be 17 this year. So, yeah. Um, and Shigama asks, like, so you still want to do this? And she says, yeah, I'm going to be a Shinuchi of the Arakawa school and I'm going to make them all realize, especially him, just how great my dad's craft was. I'm going to prove it to everyone. So accept me as a proper pupil. And we get uh, a flashback to when uh, they first came to this arrangement, when fresh off of her father being expelled, Akane approached uh, Shigama and said, I want to be a Rakugoka. Uh, I've got to do this. And Shigama's like, hey, look, why do you want to do this? What, what happened? And she says, my dad joined a company that sells concrete. He didn't want to sit around all, being depressed all day, so he got a job. And now he's really busy all day, every day. But he's making more money than he did doing Rakugo. We're able to eat out more often than before. And Shigma's like, well, good. Good for him. And Akai says, yeah, everyone keeps saying that. Good for him. It's good that he quit Rakugo. It's good he was kicked out of the school. But I love Dad's Rakugo. It was just him sitting and talking by himself, but it made you see all these people and locales. It was like magic. And when he quit doing Rakugo, I felt so sad that I'd never see it again. But everyone else smiled when he quit. They said, good for you. We're glad you have a real job now. 
I'm the only one who's sad about it. Every time someone says good for him, it's like they're saying dad's rock ago was worthless. But it's my favorite and it hurts so bad. So I've made up my mind. I'm going to be a Shinuchi and prove that dad's rock ago was great. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> it is great. It makes me really, really curious to see when she interacts with her dad again to yeah. see how their relationship is at this point. Yeah. If there's like, how good is it? Is there like a tension between them there now? Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, they've uh, been training together for the six years since then. And now Akane is, you know, about to turn 17. So she's around the age where she could actually become a Rakugoka. By the way, traditionally, that's something that guys do. But it is definitely open to women in the modern age. So, uh, um, and also uh, Shinichi, you know, knows to himself, it is rare for people to join after graduating high school, but that's not unheard of. If there's a problem here, it lies with me. I don't have the right to take another pupil. Uh, but at that moment, his thoughts are interrupted because he gets a call on his cell phone, his flip phone, I should note, which could mean either he's kind of old fashioned or it's set in the 2000s. But probably it's just that he's old fashioned. Um, uh, and uh, the call that it's about is in regards to there being uh, someone need, they need someone to fill a slot at the Rakugo Cafe uh, due to some unforeseen trouble. So Arakawa was like, oh, well, I'm available. But she, she's just like, yeah, I want you to go, Akane. Uh, be, and Arakawa was like, oh, come on. That's a place for a professional Rakugoka. And she, she's like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Rakugoka are professional. It's like saying, oh, a pro, a professional pro baseball player. Which is... Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. All right. You got me. But he says, yeah, I want you to see what the professional world is like. And if you still want to follow along this path, I might consider it. Just don't get too nervous up there. But Akane is really determined. She says, I'll make, I'll take them all by surprise. I'm going to get a ton of laughs. You wait and see. So that's our second chapter. I really like in this series. I love the art in this series is excellent. I love the expressions these characters are making. I like Akane as a character. She seems fun. Um, so far, there's no weird elements like there were at the start of other series similar yeah, to this. Name. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm I'm really enjoying this series right now. There's a part of me that is just so worried this isn't going to take off. Um, and, I know, I know. Like, I'm like, don't get attached. Don't fall in love. <laughs> it's just going to break your heart again. Um, I am going to enjoy this for as much as I can, for as long as I can, but I know very much like it's going to slip out between my fingers at some point. So, If only because I don't know what the general audience tends to like. Maybe this will find a gap. Maybe it will. Sometimes things are just weird. I really thought Ayashiman was destined to go straight to the moon, and it has sunk. Like, it has plummeted. So, <laughs> I don't know. Nick was like, yes. <laughs> um, so I really don't know. Maybe this will take off. But yeah, I really, really like it. Uh, if this ends up, however long we have it, I, I feel like this is a series I'm going to enjoy. In Speaking contrast, of new series. Okay, look. <laughs> Oh yeah, technically Duran 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 or whatever. Oh, you're right. It does come. It does come first. Yes, yes, you're right. Okay. 
Uh, Dora wakes up in a hospital bed in chapter 11. Superhero. Genshio is there to greet him. And uh, as he gets up, she's like, yeah, you've been asleep for five days, but you survived. A normal person would be dead. Uh, And then she apologizes to him because she's like, it's my fault you got hurt. I wasn't strong enough. And then Dora. (sighs) Okay, so I want you guys to understand something. A joke is told in Doran Dororan. And because it's paced weirdly, it doesn't land well. In its defense, there is at least a panel between the I said something and then the follow-up then is the punchline to the thing I said. Right. There was literally at least a panel to suggest a, a period of time passed. Basically, the joke is that Dora realizes that Gichiran in a situation that it is embarrassing for her, so he pretends not to remember it, but then he very obviously brings up details to let you know that he remembers everything that happened, which only serves to annoy her. Anyway, Gichiran is fine now, and uh, yeah, okay. Um, and Dora's like, yeah, well, I'm also weak because that human Mononoke destroyed the town, and I heard people screaming and wailing. What happened to it? And Genshio says, yeah, I got away. And there were a lot of casualties. 26 dead, 75 injured. I mean, it did blow up a street. So did that make sense? Uh, Dora goes, damn it! A few times. Uh, and then he asks where Kusanagi is. And Genshio says, yeah, he's at the Izanagi Forest Clinic. Because we're not in Echibuzen City anymore. We're at the Izanagi Forest Headquarters in Musashino Kuni Kamui, which is the really big city that we were told about in the previous chapter. Uh, anyway, uh, Kusanagi is going to be interrogated by the Izanagi Forest executives. We cut to uh, being uh, interrogated by <laughs> the Izanagi Forest executives. This is the general feeling of this chapter where you're just like, <sighs> like, I don't know how to explain it other than to say like, Yes, you followed the next step in creating, yeah. like you opened the book, How to Write a Shonen Battle Manga, and you opened the next page, and it was like, there should be a board meeting with bureaucracy, but one member of the team should perhaps have an unorthodox outlook on everything, perhaps the leader. And what if that leader were also the father of the mm-hmm. female officer that, ah, it's just... It's just kaiju number eight, <laughs> but worse, so much worse. Uh, and Uji is there, and he's like, "Yeah, so this is what happened." And also the Mononoke here, yeah, it helped out. Yeah, so, and then he just like calls out the entire panel, like, "You guys just fucking sit behind desks and sip coffee, and then uh, yeah." So why do you guys get to decide what happens? I have defeated more Mononoke than anyone else in the front lines, and all of the guys that uh, don't have names are like, "What the fuck? Fuck you!" Grr. <laughs> uh, and um, then Uji is like, "Hey." Uh, I'll uh, I'll take the blame if this leads to disaster. But on the other hand, if I'm being held responsible for failure, I also want recognition for success. Yeah. And then he goes, and don't go acting like some old crank in denial, claiming I got lucky. Whoops. Did I say that out loud? This character's so edgy, Nick. 
He's got style. Like he's just like he's Jake. not edgy at all. He's got no straps on his he's... face. <laughs> that is true. That is the determining factor. He's just like Jin, you know, from uh, from World Trigger. The two share a lot in common. They both wear jackets. They both have two hands. They have hair. Um, their eyes presumably work. Uh, their names have vowels and consonants in them. <laughs> Five. Wow. All right. Yeah. So they're basically the same character. I really, I love it. I love it. I'm yeah. sure that Venn diagram is almost a perfect circle. So. Uh, the guy that he that he talks trash to says, "You always go too far." Nice comeback. So, Dora bursts through the doors, and he sees Kusanagi, and he leans against the glass. And there is a kind of cute moment because Kusanagi just like booms his head against the glass in response, and also his tail's wagging because Kusanagi's basically a pet. So, um. Then they're like, hey, who the hell is this guy? And Uji's like, oh, he teamed with the the, 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 the Mononoke in order to defeat the Moto. How dare you collaborate with uh, Mononoke? And Dora's like, no, 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 no. Uh, that's a lie. I didn't help at all. It was actually this Mononoke who did everything. Yeah, it's defeated multiple Mononoke and rescued lots of humans. It's uh, super powerful, like a superhero Mononoke. And Kusanagi's like, no. Dora helped. He, he, I, I can only fight because you're the superhero. And uh, the director guy is like, ha, they're sacrificing their own interests for each other. That's young people for you. Reminds me of my student days. Is Dora literally sacrificing anything in, in this moment? Whatever. He's like, but anyway, the director's like, I sure hate being old. <laughs> Always worrying about leveraging a situation to your advantage, but they don't seem to have that problem. And all the other people are like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? <laughs> um, but the director's like, yeah, this is kind of funny. It's just like Ginchio told me, which, I mean, it's been five days. So, yeah, it makes sense that she's had a chance to talk to, you know, her dad and the person who gets to have the most sway in deciding Kusanaki's fate. It makes sense that they've talked about this. Uh, so I was like, Grace period. We'll see if things can work out with Kaiju number eight in the squad one. Sorry, with Kusanagi working for us. Yep. Uh, look. Actually, I have no follow-up. This series blows. All right, let's talk about our child, Nick. I <laughs> Moving in from one series that is curious and odd to... Okay, so I will... Look... An entire series takes place in this one chapter. (laughs) I want you to understand. So I am going to crank this up to 80 miles an hour, okay? A guy is nearly getting hit by a truck. A girl saves him because she's a psychic ninja that has superpowers. Uh, And uh, she uses an app on her phone that acts like a neuralizer to erase his memory. But it doesn't fully erase his memory because... And with some focus, he realized something is wrong and realizes that he can still remember Ninja Girl's appearance. And uh, so he randomly runs into her in the street when she's in plain clothes and recognizes her immediately and reaches out and grabs her. And she's like, oh, wait a minute. And she disables him and then drags him off. He's like, wait, why do you remember that? So she takes him off to talk and she is like, OK, why didn't it work when I tried to erase your memory? How is that possible? Uh, but, uh, they, she's like, well, fine. I guess if you remember it, I might as well tell you my deal. Anyway, I'm a secret superhero Esper person called an earth child. See if something happens where certain things happen while you're 
be in the womb, I guess, then there's a low chance you'll turn out to be a psychic. It's called an Earth child. But anyway, I got to go. And so she raises memory again and leaves him again. But then when she's got fighting crime because she works for the government with her super special secret superpowers, uh, she leaves a message for the guy. And uh, she's at first like, oh, that was a bad idea. But then he shows up at the meeting that she planned. And so they keep on just meeting in secret like that while she is saving stuff. And basically he becomes her confidant and she explains to him how this psychic stuff works. And then eventually he realizes, I think that I know why I remember you. It's because I love you. And she's like, oh, how dare you be the first person to say it? And so they start dating. And so they keep on meeting. Uh, by the way, the girl's name is Kareri. Uh, but uh they uh there a thing happens because during a bank robbery thing that she stopped she got uh she couldn't deflect all the bullets that the robber shot at her so she got injured and she winds up in the hospital and uh her boyfriend shows up to see her and she's like oh yeah in that moment where i'm supposed to not have any distractions i thought about what would happen if i didn't get ever ever see you again and i, I realize now i think that you'd have been better off if you had just forgotten about me and he's like no you're great and i want to remember you i always want you to come back to me anyway I'm going to throw myself out of this room and jump to my tub. You don't save me to show you how much I love you. I will leap out of this door, this window and die unless you save me like a healthy relationship progresses. Uh, anyway, this guy is not great uh, in any sense at all. He's bland when he's not being a dick, basically. So. Carreri saves him and they're like, you asshole. Oh, because she, he's like, while he's jumping out the way, he's like, will you marry me? And she saves him and he's like, I fucking hate you for proposing this way. But it sure is a nice view. It is a nice view. It's pretty. Uh, then they get married. Yay. And they have a kid. Yay. Five years have passed with them in a relationship this way. And their child is named Mamoru. And they specifically say, hey, is an Earth child thing genetic? No. He'll be normal. Remember that he will be normal. <laughs> but then a giant fucking asteroid is careening towards Earth. But Nick, so much has already happened. <laughs> so, uh, fuck. My headphones came out. It's okay. Oh, I'll no. keep talking. So they're like, Karewi, we need you to fucking save us because you're the only one with your super secret special psychic powers that can save us. If you get really close to this asteroid and use literally all of your power, you'll deflect it. And so the entire Earth will be destroyed. Only you can save us. And then Reisuke, that's her boyfriend's husband's name, is like, wait a second. You can't just do that because there's got to be another way. We got to figure something out. And I, come on, we should just just leave. We should just go. And Kareri's like, no, I've got to save the world because, you know, I've got to protect you two. Yeah, there's no earth and there's no husband and no kid. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, hey, have faith that I'll come back to you. And she goes out into space and she used her psychic powers to stop the meteor. But holy shit, that's a big ass fucking meteor. And she's snapping her fingers and splurging blood from her hands. Somehow, I don't know. It takes all of her power is the point. Uh, meanwhile, Reisuke is back on Earth with a kitty carrier. And he's just watching that big rock slowly get closer. Uh, and uh, uh, so Kareri is like, I'm sorry, Reisuke. Please don't ever think that even together our wish wasn't enough. I know it won't be easy. Check out my butt. But take care of Mamoru. <laughs> and 
her ship collides with the asteroid, and as she does, she uses all of her powers to completely split it apart. A huge crevice appears in it, and it splits open. And is like, did you really make the right choice? I mean, it was this yes. or literally everyone <laughs> dies. You're being absurdly selfish. Because like, he's just like, I would have left it the chance for us to just abandon the Earth to die. And go where? And you would have <laughs> died too. What do you... <laughs> So, but he's like, yeah, but that's how much I love you, Kareri. And he falls to his knees as shooting stars come from the remnants of the meteor. And as it does, a glowy thing appears floating in front of him because there's a pebble stuck right in front of his throat because (gasps) Mamoru's got psychic powers too. And he stopped the rock. Oh my gosh. That's the way he's raised. The choices we make, those could sway the Earth's future. I've lived an ordinary life up till now, but in my hands, I hold the fate of our world because he's holding their son in his hands. That's chapter one. Okay. What? <laughs> I. You did a great job recapping. I have essentially no idea what to think of this first chapter because I have no idea what the series is going to be about. Uh, the way it was like pitched initially was like, Oh, it's like a romance story with uh magic powers in it. And I was like, okay, I could yeah. get behind that. Like Me uh, too. I don't know if it'll succeed, but I'll I'll give it a shot. Uh the romance happens and concludes within the first chapter. So I don't know if it's going to be a series about this normalized guy raising a psychic son, or if we're going to time skip to when the son is at an old enough age that he is like a superhero. I I have no idea. I have zero clue. I presume, based on the fact they had to use her to blow up the the meteorite, and they're like, that's the only solution we possibly have. There aren't a lot of Earth children. Well, she or says maybe only she certain says, ones have psychic powers. I don't. She says at one point, in reality, I could be replaced by a few thousand people. So, like. Why? Yeah, then it then it really does become a question of like, was Japan? Maybe she's the only one in Japan. Maybe I don't know. Like it's it's just a very odd thing. Um, none of the characters are likable. Like you you certainly don't like him. I almost want to like her, but then they like kind of weirdly cheesecake her a couple times throughout the chapter, and then she just doesn't like. She has kind of fun expressions at times, but that's otherwise about it. Um, and then you just, I, I think a little less of her because she falls in love with this guy a little bit. Yeah. I feel bad, but I was like, this dude sucks. Like <laughs> he sucks so much. He manipulates her into falling in love with him in a way. Like yeah. it's stalks her. Gross. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty strange. Um, I don't know what else to say. Like, I feel like any other thoughts I have are going to have to wait until next chapter when I'm like, so what the fuck is this going to be? Like, what is this series? It seems at this moment that the story is actually going to be about their son being raised by race But, um, it's like, okay, then why did we go through the entire story like this of Kirari just for her to die? And also let's say, let's just assume, I don't think this is going to happen, but let's assume the series like is successful and lasts for a while. Do you know what's going to happen to this story, Earth Child, starring Mamoru, the, the psychic superhero? 
they're not going to be on the cover of this of the <laughs> issue that they debut in. Because <laughs> like, yeah. it's these two that are on it instead. Yeah. And one of them's dead at the end of chapter one. It it feels a lot like this was a one shot and they were like, Oh, this was successful. You should just make a whole series out of it. And the creator was like, How? cool. I'll just I'll send the same I'll just send the one shot to print again. <laughs> just shove it right back in. I'll figure it out later. We got this. Uh, it's I think that this would be a fine one shot story. I would have problems with it that we've been going over in terms of like, yeah, the dude is just not good, but it is a nice little story of like, hey, you know, sci fi superhero that and the relationship with this guy and the sacrifice she had to make in order to keep what she values safe. It's like, yeah. And, you know, it instead of going through the motion, she had something to live for. And then she ultimately gave up her life because of that. That's nice. But where do you go from there after literally the end? It's 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 an entire pilot chapter that is just the prologue to what apparently is going to be a completely different story. And so as a result of that, I have no basis for judging what the actual story of the manga is yet. Yeah. So. If you were to base it just off this chapter. Eh. <laughs> um, the author of this series, uh, Hideo Shinkai, uh, has done other stuff in Jump Before. They did uh, Soul Catchers uh, and Lightwing, uh, and they were one of Araki's assistants for a while as well. Okay. So very accomplished artist. Um, but uh, this is a weird story. So, yep. <laughs> All right. We've uh, got a. Oh, do I have a puzzle? Yes. Yes, you do. Puzzle. All right. Here we go. It's the uh, rest, guess the wrestling act uh, puzzle. <clears throat> Here we go. Peculiar, pugnacious pensioner, parents parted paw. Parted paw. Here, let me uh, copy this into our little text interesting, chat. Interesting. Interesting. This is a tricky one. I I will say. Pugnacious. Peculiar. Pensioner. Yeah. yeah. Parents parted paw. That sounds like Funakai to me. It's not. <laughs> uh, pensioner. It's mm -hmm. like someone who is old, right? Correct. It's, it's not going to be the boogeyman. No. Damn. You're thinking way too young. Oh, man, he was really old. Not nearly enough. Uh, I'm I'm gonna tap out on this one. Like like someone in an ankle hold. Okay. Let me give you a hint. Paw is in the context of keep your paws off that. What does that mean? Is this Chavo Guerrero Senior? No, no. Keep your paws off that. What does that What does that mean? Don't. What is a paw in that context? Like a hand. Like keep okay. Your, keep your mitts off that. Okay. So. The hand. It's Nobu from the hand from Daredevil. Oh, uh, come on. Keep focusing on it. All right. Hand. Put it together with what you were talking about before. Hand, old, old hand. Mm -hmm. Pat Patterson. No. Gerald Briscoe. Oh. May Young. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> For those of you who are completely lost, there oh, is yeah. an infamous segment in which May Young, for some reason, Gave birth to a hand. 
in another one of those moments where you're just like, but why? The answer is because Vince McMahon found it funny at the time, and thus it happened. That's it. Because, like, so in our, our Discord, uh, Protect Me Shugamaru gets abbreviated to PMS. And a lot of people are like, it's kind of weird seeing PMS, uh, uh, like, done like that. And I was like, yeah, well, yeah, at one point well. in time, WWE had an all-female group who were called yep. the Pre-Mean Sisters because Instagram was like, it'd be funny if their group name as women was PMS. Yep. So... And- and one of them tricked uh, a wrestler into thinking that he had gotten them pregnant and tricked them into thinking that he had caused her to have an abortion and just, you know, stuff that women do. It's like, Ugh. anyway, gross stuff happened. Pa-pa, Chapter 21. It's sad. So. Mimin has just uh, gone off the tracks and played a piece she wasn't supposed to just to make a point to Furusu. And I love that immediately the judges are like, well, I mean, like, yeah, but she broke the rule. She played a piece she wasn't supposed to. And one of the judges, this old guy with a mustache is like, yeah, but it was great. We should just make an exception. They're like, got this guy. (laughs) He's just saying it because the Otogami family donates to his university. It's like, yeah, well, sucks to suck he's bought sorry um roku shows up to talk to uh to lucky and uh they're like hey what are you doing you should go into the rehearsal room and lucky's like oh um well uh uh and roku's like oh i get it yeah first didn't make the cut uh and lucky's like yeah it's awkward and i don't really know what to say to her in this moment um but uh, Roku says, hey, but, you know, rather than trying to show her that you're worried, why don't you try to think of some way to cheer her up? Uh, we then cut to where Furusu is. She is still distraught over her failure. And uh, Dada comes to talk to her and is like, hey, Furusu, did you have that epiphany I said you needed to have? No, apparently not, because you fucking lost. <laughs> uh, but then he's like, hey, why are you crying? And Furusu says, well, it's because I'm frustrated. No, actually... I'm sad because I would love it when my mom would pat me on the head and I loved her and I loved listening to her play piano and I'd be excited to find out what she'd play and how she'd play it and how that would affect the piece when she would play notes differently. And I'd think about all of that while I listened to my mom and that's what I wish I could have back, but I can't, I can't win. I can't get any of that back. And now that I understand that, I can't even feel frustrated. It makes me sad. And I don't like feeling that way. I wish this feeling didn't exist. But Dada Sensei says, you say that, but do you mean it? Because now you're able to understand why you are so sad. You can't get back what's lost, but those feelings will help you find what you want. And discovering something about yourself through sadness brings hope for a brighter future. Aww. That's nice. Yeah. You said a teacherly thing somehow. You are an actual mentor. (laughs) So he instructs her that even when things are tough to embrace your sadness fully. And we see that Lucky is out in the hall with him. And so he has heard at least part of this uh, spiel that he said. And then Dada turns to Lucky and says, the more things you value, the more sadness you'll experience. You must confront the moment you first experience sadness. 
Well, there was this one time when I was a kid when I didn't have my stuffed baby Big Bird and because my parents had to take it away to wash it. And so I didn't have it. And that made me sad. No, no, it's okay. Well, a little further forward. Not, not the first time you were sad. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Dada says like, okay, you need to connect that feeling of sadness to pathetic in order to evoke it. And so Lucky says, okay, well, the first moment I can remember feeling sad was, and he thinks back to when his incredibly young looking father said to him, average is unacceptable for an Otagami. And Lucky's like, yeah, I can't go back to how things used to be. All my sadness began then. He's always billed us as the Otagami sextuplets. And he remembers that and he remembers his mom thinking, prove him wrong. And then he remembers Roku saying, rather than trying to show Furusu that you're worried, to try and cheer her up. So Lucky promises, I'm going to win against Mimin. Uh, and then he calls out to Furusu and says, I'm going to play something that'll really annoy my dad. Uh, and then we see... Um, a woman I haven't seen in this manga before. <laughs> she has eyes like capital E, capital Y, not a second capital E, but a capital S eyes. They're very. Ugh. Uh, she is the director of something. I don't know what, though. But yeah. Also, Dada Sensei says, like, hey, I've got a favor of you to ask. Uh, invite as many elite musicians as you can. And the media. Uh, then we cut to Ray, who is going to go and talk to Sorachika. Uh, he's like, oh, I'm really nervous because he's a nice guy. But whenever I'm around him, I just I just get nervous for some reason. And he approaches Sorachika, who turns to look and says, what is it? Ah, it's about Lucky, huh? Dun, hey. dun, dun. Nice little teaching moment from Dada Sensei. That's about it. Yeah. For me. So yeah. there's a little tease at the end that this potentially could be bad news for Lucky. They mentioned before that if other people, other siblings found out that Lucky was performing, that if the dad found out, he'd immediately shut Lucky out of the world of piano. So we shall see what happens. Uh hopefully good stuff. But yeah, a yeah. nice little uh nice little moment from Dada Sensei. Yep. Dr. Stone! <sighs> Don't worry, Nick. Oh, Nash must inevitably next. face death. Well, that's great. All life must inevitably face death. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Stone. Feel great now. But uh, they say that in that all life, it includes the Y-Men uh, because oxygen is poisonous to them. It causes their mechanical guts to oxidize and rust and their lives fade. Uh, and we see like, you know, a bit where they first petrified everyone and then like, you know, stuff was just decaying around them and now they're just fading out. Uh, and, uh, the thought that they have is that death is terrifying. The ultimate goal of all life is to survive and petrification grants life an eternal escape from death's grip. Yet they reject the stone. Why? And that's when we get our chapter title. Z equals 230, human. And again, we get a montage 
through the story of Dr. Stone, but from the perspective of the Wyman and stuff is going on saying like, okay, yeah, we've offered them this eternal life. Uh, and there's, but they couldn't negotiate anything. And while they were observing, they're like, oh, they don't seem to understand the device's existence yet. Uh, but then they discover them and they're like, oh, wait, they activated the petrifying wave via radio waves in that crucial conflict between Senku and, uh, oh, I've got, I've forgotten his name. The king of the petrification kingdom with the oh, weird bar. Maybe I think yeah, that was, I think, I think that was it. Yeah. It was a bar. So like, okay, so, uh, we'll just, uh, do what they did. And that's when they started broadcasting the, you know, sound to, Hey, uh, 12 million, 800,000 meters, one second set off petrification devices. But of course they picked up on it and didn't allow it to be utilized until that crucial moment between the two different kingdoms of science. And then the Y men were like, yay. Now they'll save us <laughs> because the Y men are dumb. Uh, <laughs> but of course, then, you know, Suika broke out. She managed to get everyone uh, back together. And then the Wyman were just confused. They're like, why? Why are they rejecting everlasting life? There's no logic to this. Perhaps the truth is. And so when they said, do you want to die? It was really like, hey, do you want to die? Do you um, want to die? Like, you want to die? Like, what? Mm. Uh, and then when they put one of the devices inside of a vacuum tube, Oh, that just shut it off from oxygen and meant that um, it could work properly again, as opposed to doing what the vacuum tube was supposed to accomplish. Uh, it was not a misfire, but an unintentional and an unintentional act. Uh, so we cut to the present. Senku and Stanley and Kohaku are confronting the giant swarm of Wyman. And they're like, OK, well, I've got one point to clear up, which Taiju is like, what, just, just one? What? That seems like there should be a lot more. But uh, Gen gives a little bit of a re of a explanation. It's like, yeah, so after petrifying the smartest beings, the Wyman thought that we would go like, oh, yeah, thanks for the eternal life. We'll take care good care of you. That was their goal this whole time. Um, and so Senka's like, yeah, but by stealing humanity in stone for thousands of years, you destroyed scientific civilization. Why did you do that? Uh, and so they said, like, well, upon arrival to this satellite, the moon, discovery of abandoned space travel equipment, implication of intelligent life from that alone. Stone is undone faster by high brain activity. Thousands of years to awaken were acquired, though. Initial expectations of intelligence were not met. So we went to the moon. So they thought we were smart. But turns out we're big old no. dumb dumbs brain not big enough to break free from stone quickly but senku says okay sure maybe our science is lagging behind a little like we're kind of amazed by the fact that you guys can defy gravity but i'm ready to learn and he holds his hand out and um the earth is behind him and it looks like a moon so it's really cool uh and he says, humanity's full-blown scientific civilization is only a few thousand years old. Our lives might be fleeting, but we've got seven billion people to pick up where the last one's left off. And that's how we make progress at dizzying speeds. So I want to negotiate just you and me face to face. And so everyone's like, well, how are they going to do that? They're having to communicate via radio signal. So everyone's going to be able to pick it up. Uh, and 
the the way they get around this is the Wyman swarm around Senku uh, and surround him in a very pretty uh, kaleidoscopic kind of pattern where there's all these swirls between them because there's a whole bunch of Wyman that are constantly moving around him. And this also blocks out all the radio signals. And uh, so Senku says, if you guys are willing to lend us your bodies, we've got a real shot at this, but it's going to sound crazy, but you got to hear me out. And when the Wyman ask for clarification, he says the whole universe had better get excited. So this is a kind of crazy chapter where a lot of exposition happens. Um, I feel this is probably going to continue the divisive nature of this conclusion for a lot of people. Um, I'm still kind of on board with digging everything that's happening. Uh, we did get confirmation that I believe we have two chapters left of Dr. Stone. I hadn't heard a chapter count, but I did know that it is definitely entering the final stage at this point. Well, I guess I shouldn't say so. two chapters left. I think it's two chapters left until the climax, but that might just mean it ends. So yeah. it sounds like we are probably going to see Dr. Stone end very, very soon, which makes sense. Not a ton of stuff left to do. Mm -hmm. Um, this whole development does make me wonder what the point was of making sure we have to have a soldier on this team and go through these exams and everything like that. Because once they got here, none of that mattered. It was all just about talking yep. to these things. So I was like, all right, a little bit of build up for not a whole ton of payoff, but I mean, I am kind of interested in this. They answered some of the questions I had and I don't know. I'm okay. It's going to be kind of crazy if the last really Dr. Stone feeling thing that happens in this series is just Ryu Sui spinning himself around the inside of a shell in order to write it. No, that makes sense. He's, he made sure he was the last thing that mattered of, uh, of like innocent importance. I guess so. All right, let's talk yeah. about MASH. Nick, let's talk about Mashal. Chapter 97, MASH Burn Dead and the Endless Punch. And uh, Domna has been punched. He's very angry. Water's thirds again. I guess he found more water or something like that. And he notes, this is my specialized offensive fort. In exchange for defense, I gain speed and laser beam cannons. Lasers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Mash is just like, what is this? And it's a water laser barrage. And Domino's just like, if I can't beat your speed, I'll beat it through sheer force of numbers. I'm going to make so many lasers you won't have anywhere else to dodge, basically. And uh, Finn notes, oh, yeah, those those weights gave him the advantage, removing them, but he can't get any close, closer now. He's back at square one. And uh, Domino just shouts, by giving my body to father and fulfilling my hope, I will prove just how loyal I am. Mash's like, isn't that a little extreme? <laughs> uh, but Domino's like, no, it's not extreme. This is all I live for. And Mash just says no response. And Domino's like, what's that look for? And Mash is like, eh, it's just, you know, it's like a kind of twisted relationship where everything depends on you giving everything to your dad. Yeah. And I mean, like he jumped out of a window in order to force you to marry him. Like, what the hell's up with that? Just, this, I mean, I don't even know if you really love him. That sounds yeah. like abuse to he me. He decided he had to stop you in public by grabbing onto your clothes. Like, that seems like a weird way to approach it. Like, even if he was desperate, that's not the way to approach a person. That's creepy and odd. It's very concerning mm -hmm. behavior from the top. Feels like he doesn't respect your boundaries at all and won't ever respect them. And <laughs> he's only going to get more used to disrespecting you as you grow closer in this relationship. And you left that guy to raise your son alone. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, the mask just says, Pops never failed to love me, even though I was no good at magic. And Dominic gets really upset. It's just like, your Pops wasn't your real family. You weren't related by blood. You'll cast him aside when the moment suits you. Uh, he shoots a water thing over. He has all five of the keys. He opens up the wand to beginning and grabs it. He's like, now I have the wand to beginnings with its magic power. I'll prove you're wrong. And Mesh is like, hey, that's not what we agreed on. <laughs> it's so silly. Uh, with the power up, Domino is too powerful. He's going to create a whole bunch of laser beams. This is the end for you, Mash. And Mash says, you're wrong. As long as I'm here, you won't be ending anything. And he like kind of cocks his arms. And there's just like this wave of power rushing towards him. And he just says, unlimited biceps magic. Punch squared two. And he punches Domino from super far away. Domino's like, each punch feels like I'm being hit with a sack of iron weights. And then Mash like exhales. Four, boom. And he's like, this technique. 16, bam. And he's like, he grows his punches exponentially? That's impossible. 16 squared is, and Mash exhales. 256. And it's like a JoJo. <laughs> and uh, sends him flying. And uh, Domina hits the ground. Mash is like, only teenagers get away with throwing fits in public when they don't get their way. I think he means toddlers, but... <laughs> And he says, you need to reflect on your behavior. And Domino gets up. He's like, ha, no, I won. I outlasted everything you had. The fight is mine. I've proven that you're wrong and I'm in the right. My father, is his love is true and you're living a lie. And Master says, 65,536. Domino's like, what? (laughs) 65,536. But, and then the entire last two pages are just a two-page spread of Mash just going fucking ham on this guy. It's such a good little beat right there. We just says the number of punches he's going to give him. Hey, Mash is good at math, it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> I guess when it comes to punching, you can really do anything. Oh, shit. It was a good yeah. chapter. I liked it. Cool. Fun cool. times. Very cool ending. All right. Let's talk about the Elusive Samurai. Chapter 51, Sugoroku, 1335. The willow rules for Sugoroku are simple. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, you roll dice and you advance tokens and you have to roll exactly or else you move your tokens back if you don't roll exactly. So Shizuku, uh, gets some dice in the cup and she, you know, implants a little bit of divine power into them, immediately rolls a, a 10. And it's sort of like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's quite impressive. And immediately, uh, I forget the girl's name already because she's only said it once. But she says, like, yeah, uh, you're pretty good, but I'm on another level. And we get in a, a little note that says, like, look, the average person can't do much with divine power. They may have a faint premonition or see what usually remains unseen. Maybe they can move an object as small as the tip of their pinky or get a little bit lucky. But in gambling, a little power can go a long way. And she tilts the cup down and she gets perfect boxcars. And she just advances the token all the way to the end. Bum, bum, bum. So, uh, yeah, bad, bad, bad situation for Shizuku because she's just going to do this every single roll. Uh, and she starts bragging to Shizuka and she's like, hey, you know, I've got great intuition, country girl. You call that boy Nisama, but he's not really your brother. Yet you're willing to risk yourself for him. Do you have romantic feelings for him? Uh, Shizuku gets an 11 and she's like, no, not at all. I'm just doing this because he's my lord. 
as a man, he's worthless otherwise. <laughs> um, but the girl's like, oh, okay, well, then if I win, I want him instead of you because he's just my type. Uh, and she rolls 12 again. And as they advance, Shizuku's getting really high rolls, but the other girl is getting 12s every single time. Uh, but we get narration that says divine composure invites divine power and human agitation drives it away. Bluffing and gambling is for unsettling your opponent, thereby stealing their divine power. So, okay. Um, so as they're watching this, they're like, oh yeah, this is really high level, but she's just falling behind because, and she's actually going to end up losing by a lot to this person. And we also see where the girl first got her divine powers. Uh, she came across some spirits at a desecrated temple and she said, yeah, so no one respects the gods anymore. And deities like you must wander. So why not live inside me instead? If you're useful, I don't mind at all. And then the power entered me. It was faint, but I could use it to great ends. I could use it to help my father. And Takauji-sama reigned supreme. Shizuku concludes in the present uh, that uh, her divine power surpasses my own, but staying calm won't win this. If you don't upset your opponent, the gods don't favor you. So she says to Tokyuki, hey, put your head in my lap. And he's like, why? And now he's like, put your head in her lap. <laughs> Puts his head down. Uh, and he rests there. And so she says to Mima, that's her name. My niece has a past that makes people want to help him and a future worthy of inspiring service. In a world where many Lord souls are dark, I am happy that mine cares about his retainers. But as she says this, she uses some divine power to put him to sleep. And then she explains like, yeah, and that's why we risk ourselves for him. Furthermore, I lied to you. And she leans down and she kisses Tokyuki full in the mouth, which makes Mima and Kojiro and Ayako just kind of go, well, what? Wait, do, uh, uh, oh, excuse me. <laughs> and she leans up and blushes and says, I do have feelings for him. And Mima's like, wait, what? 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 And while the longer she observes it, like the more obscene the scene yeah, becomes I, to I, her. She has to pixelate it out because she's like, oh, how lewd. <laughs> Those 10 year olds are kissing very innocently. <laughs> Um, and so she gets completely rattled and start and starts, you know, not getting perfect roles anymore. And Shizuku keeps playing while continuing to, quote unquote, make out with Tokyuki, as in she keeps her lips pressed to his chastely. <laughs> and uh, it's like, holy shit, this is crazy. And Mima's composure is breaking more and more and more. Not only that, but Kojiro picks up on the fact that Shizuku's fucking cheating. That's my favorite part. She's just straight up cheating. She's just like, whoop. Because Mima's just like, oh my god, they're kissing still. <laughs> Uh, and it's like, yeah, holy shit, she's a good something, huh? And she wins because Biba just, just completely loses it in this moment. And Kojiro and Ayako celebrate and they're like, yay, we can, <laughs> we can get Genba back. And Ayako holds Genba up like he's a fucking, like, like he's a taffy man. <laughs> like he looks like weird. Uh, Yugi wakes up and he's like, what happened? Uh, and she just says, oh, I won. Uh, and just to be clear, I don't have any feelings for you in the slightest. Aww. Sure you don't. Uh, yeah. What was her name? Uh, from Nisekoi. Uh, Onodera's friend. Chitoge. Um, 
Rory. Rory. Yeah, I was like, sure you don't, Rory. You're not gonna. You're not holding them together until you find out you actually love Shu all along. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so Toki's like, wait, did I piss her off at all? Uh, oh well. But ah, at that moment. Mima kicks the board away, and one of the women presents her with a sword. She says, you're not getting away that easily. So, not done here yet. So. so, the immediate assumption that I think myself and a lot of people have had is like, oh, she's offering probably to join the group or something like that. Like, she's going to probably be an ally to some extent. I would yeah. love it. I would love I would. It. Well, what I would really love is she, is she fucking draws her sword and Kojo just fucking decapitates her. He was just like, I told you, I told you a sword fight was <laughs> like, I told you I'd fucking destroy you in a sword fight. I don't think she's done, especially after that big thing where we were introduced to how she got her divine power and stuff. She seems a little bit too important for that. But I don't know if she she's a bit too similar i think to shizuku and what she could offer to the group if she were to join them i don't know i feel like especially considering she seems very dedicated to her father at takaoji that she might be more of a recurring antagonist potentially potentially so. I, I i've seen a lot of that was my first thought was like maybe she joined the group i've seen other people but I said I'd really love it if she was like, I'm going to start a fight and then just fucking gets murdered, just immediately like fucking don't like samurai knockdown move. Like, oh, never mind. Kojiro did kind of put it on front street. Like, you're not going to win this fight. Ayako grabs the two girls and just double choke slams them. <laughs> that would be awesome. Like jumping double DDT. All right. All right. Let's We're wrap this finish up. with Black Clover because there's no one piece this week. Yes. Black Clover page 324 kids playground. Last time Nick Zora showed up. Everyone's favorite character. Everyone's favorite Black Bull. And he took all the magic in like a blow and he channels it into his right fist. And he shouts, I'm going to pay you back double devil king. And he punches the devil like they, they meet, like their fists collide. And you can see like Zora's arm kind of like has like rupturing almost a little bit. Like the, you know, it's clearly going through his arm while the devil's not super fussed about it. But he takes a look at, at, uh, I'm sorry, I'm very distracted because there's like a light moat on your camera and it's slowly disappearing. But if this were like the late 90s, we would have just had a ghost hunter show that would have been like, oh, okay. the orb of light just passed by as Nick channeled <laughs> more energy. Um, <laughs> the devil uh, Lucifer looks at Zora's grimoire and says, the grimoire blasted thing. Uh, not entirely noting if he just hates magic or if it's something about Zora's grimoire in particular yeah. that bothers him. Um, I would not be shocked if there was something to Zora's grimoire in the latter, because as we've pretty much found out, every member of the Black Bulls has kind of secretly had something going on with them. So maybe. Uh, I forgot his name. Yami and Nature Boy Fair show up. And uh, Yami just says, good one, Zora and Nero. You know, you guys are doing really great. And he kind of just notes to Nature Boy Fair like, so the Black Bulls, you've seen them yourself, obviously, but they're fun to watch, right? And uh, Nature Boy Flair's like, I hate to admit it, but you're right. They surpassed everything I thought they could do. And we see like a montage of all the times the Black Bulls have really kind of like come out ahead in this this arc. So uh, Zora just says, get out there and look good for us, boss men. And Zekra is even like, yeah, good luck. 
passed away. Uh, so Zora, or Yami rather, and Nature Baroque Flair combine their magic together to do the kids' playground. and like these. Yeah, because like, shadow feeds darkness, and darkness feeds shadow. And when darkness overlaps with darkness, the gates of the underworld will be flung open. That's pretty metal. Sorry. What's that, that, what's that from? Yu-Gi-Oh! 5Ds. <laughs> Fucking nerd. Uh... <laughs> So they summon this thing. It's actually pretty cool. It's sort of like a one-dimensional town made of shadows, which is really cool. And a bunch of shadows just start coming out. Uh, we see Nature Boy Flare activate the Canis mode, and they start doing a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of action scenes, basically. Uh, while it's happening, Yami and Nature Boy Flare kind of just note, like, wow, they have really good synergy between each other. The infinite synergy between darkness and shadow, which doesn't really make sense because actually darkness doesn't influence shadow. You need light to make you shadow. Need light. Yeah, yeah. You need a really strong light in order to cast a very strong shadow. Yeah. But in this sense, it works. Uh, the other devil whose name I forgot, we're going to call him Amelia Bedelia. So, huh. <laughs> and Lucifero is like, all that for a drop of blood. Except this time it's actually more notable and he's just like, it's possible for humans to end me. And then he just has this terrifying pose. He says, I acknowledge you. Therefore, I will kill you utterly. You, your parents, siblings, friends, neighbors. All humanity. I will annihilate every last one of you using God. all the power I now possess. God damn it, Roman Reigns. You just had to keep on pushing the point. Acknowledge me. <laughs> Acknowledge me. Look at what you did. Now Lucifero is going to annihilate us all. God damn it. Uh, well, I guess he's still the champion. Wow. I mean, yeah. that's, he I killed told... all the earth with it. Roman Reigns is still the champion. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he died champion. Still means he's champion. No one beat him. Didn't, didn't get pinned. All right. <laughs> Using the unending powers of the other, the netherworld as a disqualification. In this case, <laughs> Roman Reigns retains. Um, then Asta show uh, Asta and you know show up. Uh, Yami's just like, "Well, we've come as far as we can, you two And you know and Asta are like, "You're all torn up. Are you gonna be okay?" And you know's like, "I don't want to hear from you." And here comes the final showdown as. These four super important characters are going to go up against Lucifero, who has now decided his hands are going to be like this all the time, basically. Yeah. Just out like that. Um, Yami also specifically says, let's get her done, which is get weird. Done. Yeah, but uh... <laughs> I didn't even notice that. We could have done an entire Larry the Cable Guy bit there. Damn. If I had known, I would have come up with a bunch of crappy redneck jokes. All the poop jokes make a lot more sense now. <laughs> It does. I didn't take my Prilosec OTC before this. <laughs> I was shitting on the toilet for 25 minutes. Get her done. Oh, God. Got trapped oh. in an unending portal of hatred with a dude with tree magic. Get her done. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a punchline, but not. It really was like the, the whole fucking um, blue collar comedy tour all had like their quote. And yeah. like, here's your sign sucked. It was obviously the worst, but it does make sense. I really like, right. I know that's the punchline of he get her done is it doesn't make sense. It's just, <laughs> just a phrase you throw out with everything. But I'm like, is it like a tag on something? Is it supposed to be like a punchline that you could just insert anywhere? I don't, is it like Bazinga? You only use it particular times. <laughs> 
Uh, these are all valid questions that we'll have to answer another time. Next week, we're going to answer them. Uh, that's we right. Have, when we have Larry the Cable Guy himself <laughs> on the show. It's a big promise, but I think we can get it. And if not, <laughs> I'm going to hold up a Lego Mater car from Cars. <laughs> I'm just I'm making a bunch of parts in <laughs> I don't know if there is if, if I could just like bottle a moment so that I could just like you know it's like oh what's it like doing really manga recap like what's the dynamic be like between your hosts I could just <laughs> this is what Chris does it's foolishness just unbridled foolishness <laughs> That's that's it for Weekly Manga Recap. We got to wrap this up by uh, naming our favorites this week. Favorite chapter and MVP. Favorite chapter is Kaiju number eight. Definitely 100%. I thought Kaiju number eight was uh, really, really good. Hell yeah. I'm going to 100% agree on that. It was just short, sweet, and intense. And uh, it reintroduced us to characters that we thought were really cool after a long time of not seeing them and uh, introduced a really cool dynamic that I look forward to seeing in the future. Yeah. So. Uh, my MVP, I think I'm going to give to uh, Akane from Akane Banshi. Is that it? Uh, Akane Banashi. Banashi. Sorry. I really liked her uh, and I wanted to give something to the to this manga um, and uh, excellent series so far. Yeah. That's a good choice. I really liked her speech that she has in it. I think that the way that she lays out her motivation, it is really nice in terms of it's kind of a really selfish one, but also one that's very sympathetic. So my MVP, though, is going to be Shizuku for (laughs) her very lewd chaste kissing scene and just fucking cheating this girl uh, because she's so distracted by this. That was a really cool understated underhanded uh clever way of dealing with this situation absolutely the audience by the way agreed with you on that to a t kaiju number eight favorite series and shizuku as the mvp all right awesome a lot, a lot of good options though this week there like, were a lot yes. of good options yeah earth child all right so that is gonna do it for weekly manga recap everyone we will see you again next week when we record the show here on twitch.tv slash rollo t wednesday at around 7 30 eastern time to stay updated on when exactly the show goes live, you can follow us on social media at Nick F. Time, at Rolo T, or your hosts, and at Dipmar Podcast is the official podcast account. You can also listen to older episodes by going to wikimangarecap.podbean.com or youtube.com slash wikimangarecap or anywhere where podcasts can generally be found on the internet, including Spotify and iTunes. Uh, you can also... <clears throat> Pardon me. You can also join us on our Discord server. Use that to participate in all sorts of fun discussions about the series that we recap, the series that we're going to be looking at as a recommendation, including the one we're going to probably be talking about next week, Landlocked, uh, and also uh, bi-weekly game nights with our wonderful community. Mm -hmm. There is also a Google Doc that is maintained by Ninja X3i that keeps track of all sorts of statistics associated with the show, stuff that has been recommended to us. You can chip in and say what you would like us to read in the future or look back and see what stuff we have already read. Uh, and uh, you can, we would also like to thank everyone who supports us on Patreon.com slash Weekly Manga Recap, where there is awesome bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We should be recording another bonus episode soon. In the meantime, there are, of course, the other existing ones and monthly other recap, where yes. Chris talks about the series and Shonen Jump and other places that 
we don't talk about on the show because there's too many series to talk about. Uh, there's going to be a very big one this month because I'm basically making up for last month and adding all this uh, stuff into it. So it's going to be a very big monthly other recap this this month. So that's right. Stay tuned. Get ready to hear Chris run out of breath over and over and over again. I think I figured out that I just need to stop recording for a little bit and then come back and finish the rest of it. Like, no, one sitting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's like when we do this and I just get tired of recapping stuff and I'm just like, all right, let's stop. <laughs> there was I, there was a period of time where I, I remember one week I recorded weekly mon- or monthly other recap before WMR and I remember being like, my voice hurts so much by the end i was like i do, i cannot do these two back to back anymore oh and uh we also want to thank steve man who does title cards for uh, the youtube versions of our show you can check out his work wherever steve man art and uh we also want to thank uh milo jack stillitz and Lizzie shatter for creating the opening sequence of the video versions of the podcast I think that that is everyone. Yes. So. Just want to note, because you went uh, digital there real quick. Uh, it's Steve Man Art. You can find him on Twitter. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah, that's going to do it. I guess we're going to head out, and we will see you guys next week when we delve into the many lore angles of Landlock and its many twists and turns of intrigue. This is a setup, because Landlock is not very good. It's very weird and dumb. So, okay. See you next week, everyone. Bye.